still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding Who bled a gusher in a white suit Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger Everyone knows it's corny It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends, and we're doing this again. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornett's Drive Through right here on another day. Another day that we're recording and talking about wrestling. Another day reviewing wrestling. And another day answering your questions right here with. The star of the show, but first, I'm the host, the great Brian Last. And here is the aforementioned star, Mr. Jim Cornette. The aforementioned star, Mr. Jim. Hold on, I'm trying to... Do you have a nose trying. I'm trying to... No, I'm trying to stif, stifle a sneeze. Because just as you started speaking, the, the quiver came on. The urge started to build, but then I managed to beat it back. And then right when you... Almost completely lost track of it, and I thought we were going to blow it anyway. I started to let myself go to sneeze again, but you saved it and passed it off to me, which is a safe fucking handoff every time. But as a, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to blow any snot back at you. You know, the weather, the weather outside is frightful, but I am so delightful. So fuck you, Brian Last. I'll just do the rest of the show out my ass. Um, Good for you. So here's what's going on now. By the way, I can't remember what program this is. We'll explain later on as we get into this that we've recorded some things out of order. But I believe on the experience was when I documented that we almost blew away in the city of Louisville last week with the 75 mile an hour winds and the freakish weather and my neighbor's tree. Did you see my tweet where I tweeted? I tweeted. The tree, the, the neighbor's tree that fell on my fence that's the size of a fucking city bus. Did you see that tweet? I saw that tweet of the twee, yes. The tweet of the twee. Well, it, it was it, the twee was all the way down to the top, from the top <laughs> to the bottom of the twee. Uh, but anyway, so we had that weather, and then it calmed down over the weekend. And then yesterday, Monday... It was another record high temperature, 77 degrees in the first week of fucking March, record for all time. We've had four record temperatures in the record highs in the last two weeks. But then now today, it's in the goddamn 40s and it's going to be in the 30s tonight. But meanwhile, all the flowers and trees are blooming because they don't know what the fuck's going on like the rest of us. But we have now over the Next eight to 14 days, they said, expect a cold, colder than normal snap. 
So it's now everything's going to freeze. What the fuck? They, they've got people. They still had the schools closed. I'll have you know on Monday because of the all the power outages that they still can't get to. LG and E, the electric company, they got to do when you call them. After a while, you sit on hold, and the recording just says, "Tell you what, we'll call you back when we get a chance." Bye, and hangs up on you apparently, or whatever. Uh, so it's it's miserable here, is what it is. It's miserable, and you were complaining before we went on the air about your wind is blowing. I was stating I wasn't complaining. I was letting you know that you may hear something behind me, and that's the wind that's blowing mighty. Heavily this morning. <laughs> Are the answers blowing in that wind, my friend? I guess so, Mr. Dillon. All righty. Well, is this show is, blowing in the wind? <laughs> this show is certainly blowing. Uh, you, got any, you got any dead so, cats to talk about? <laughs> you beat me to the reference. God damn it. Uh, here's another one for Reggie. Well, look here, uh, Brian Lass, since this is your program, and but this is the cult of cornet that's out there to people listening to the program. Why don't we combine those things and tell the fine folks the latest uh, the the face the new official Facebook group? I've had people tweeting and they're saying, "Oh, geez, we applied a week ago and we can't get in." Have we been denied? Have we been turned away? No room at the inn. And it's just, it's been a, a swamped type of thing uh, in, in large part, right? We're not just giving the finger to many of our most devoted associates. Only some of them. Quite a few, but not all. Yes, that is correct. There is a big line to get into the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. We're not just letting everyone in. That would be stupid. Then you get a situation like you just had. We get a situation, if you always do what you always did, then you always get what you always got. So if you have applied for membership, I guess that's what we would say here. If you've yes, applied for if membership. You, if, you have, if you have asked to come into the circle of trust in the official Cult of Cornet Facebook group, if you have been, if you have asked to be invited behind the velvet rope with the elite people, the real elite people, the pinnacle the cream of the crop, the piece de resistance, or the pizza of resistance, whichever one some people call it. The, the, the place to be on Facebook apparently now because they're, they're storming the fucking paramounts at the castle here, then, then you, you have to uh, allow some element of time for processing to get in with this kind of a creme de la creme group. That's right, and yeah. we're going through everyone's application. We're letting people in. Now, some of you may not get in as quickly as you may like. Some of you may have been waiting for a while. There's a lot of people trying to get in. Some of you, you're not getting. Look, <laughs> if your name... Look at the state of some of you people. You're not getting in here. If your name looks like something Prince created when he lost the rights to his name, and if you have no friends... And if you joined Facebook like a week ago, you're well, not. Now, wait a minute. Don't we want to welcome the lonely? Only the lonely. 
Doom, 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 doom. Don't we want lonely people if they don't have friends, but they they want they want to associate with us? We they can come here and we will take them in and shelter them, will we not? It's so interesting because of your singing, as long as they're not going to be assholes. That's the thing. Because of your singing style, you would have, I think, the the layman would have thought that you would have been able to conquer a Roy Orbison song. But no, it really sounded awful. That was as out of tune and out of pitch as you've been with any song. In a long time. Look here, you're 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 diverting, you're diverticulating what? away from from the subject that we're talking about here. Tell the people once again how can they get into the group quicker and and present themselves for exclusive membership in in such a manner that that they can be welcomed with open arms and and bated breath and large wangs. Well, you may have to wait. There's no guarantee on how much time. But again, go to. Facebook.com slash groups slash official Jim Cornette. It is the official Cult of Cornette Facebook group. Right there, you can apply to join. There'll be a few questions. Answer them. If you're someone that may look like you have a suspicious profile, this is where you should explain yourself if you want to get it. Yeah, yeah. Express, show your papers. Explain yourself. Now, a couple things, Jim, I want to make notes here while we're talking about this, because this is the best way for people who are in the group or trying to join the group to hear information about said group. If you join the group, if we let you in, do not create a post announcing your arrival. <laughs> do not create a post to say, hey, I'm so happy to be here. Here's a picture of me. Here's information about me. We're very happy you're here. There's a concerted post for everyone to say hello. But we don't want to fill up the page with lots of introductions because, as we said, there's a lot of people trying to get in. So people are, some people are just saying, "Hey, here I am, and and it's happy. I'm happy to be here." But it's not like that's really something that a lot of people who can reply anything other than, "Well, welcome," and it's you're done, right? It's not a topic of conversation, so it, it would kind of clog things up. That's right. and like I can we, understand that. We want to be a welcoming group. We want everyone to have a good time, but put your pictures and put your hello comments in one thread. It is pinned to one of the featured threads or pe featured posts. I can't speak. Yeah, a featured, a featured thread? One of the tweeted tweets at the top of the page. You can go there and you can see it. One other thing, if there's something happening in the world of wrestling that you've seen on social media, whether it's... Vince McMahon allegedly having a mustache <laughs> or whether it's a tree trunk being used to support a ring. If you see it and you can't believe it and your first reaction is, I got to share this with the cult of Cornette. Yeah. Pause for a second. Look in the group and see if it's been posted already. Because one thing we are cutting down on is multiple posts of the same thing. There's a new group. This moderating team has a lot of people that were moderating. We're going to increase the team eventually with good people, but... Well, you know, they are very mediocre moderators. But we're doing our best in these early days to make sure this group will be a fun and healthy place for people to discuss the show, things about the show, and the general cult of Cornette pop. But now this duplication business, we're not saying you can't comment on something if somebody's, you know, put up a picture of their, their uncle's dick hanging out while he's bowling or whatever. That's right. You can comment on it, but don't you create can a comment new post. on it. But don't just put the same picture over and over again, because then that's gumming up. Then we've only got so much server on this thing, right? For the the amount of people we've got. Well, no, the server has nothing to do with it. But we just want to make sure that we have a easy to navigate 
fun to use page as opposed to a well, page yeah, of every, we, pictures we'll and get, pictures of tree trunks over we'll, and over It'll and be over. easy for everybody to navigate. We'll get the whole group together in person at some point, take a nice boat trip, but we're just ah. talking about now on the internet. You talking about cornstalk? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that out on out on the on the boat on the except uh, oh, I, the boat. I, I don't I don't want to take a cruise on the boat. so we'll just get a, a fishing boat and we'll just dangle some people off the edge of it or something. But anyway, but back to the Facebook thing. We'll leave the na- navigation for later on. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So we're just we're trying to streamline everybody's process there, and and we're trying to get uh, people in the doors as quickly as possible. But it's just everybody showed up at the same time. And we're just, we're trying to do our best, right? We meaning all of you, because I still don't know how any of this works. That's right. And eventually you will have a presence there on at least one day for a few hours. And we'll see how I'm it not goes. coming in until we get everybody in the in the building. That's right. And I will say another thing. Again, read the rules when you join. If you act like a knucklehead, you get thrown right out. We're not going to play games. We're not going to be playing around with you. Yeah. If you act like a fool, you get thrown out. Come in, have a good time. And that's it. We're not playing around here. I'll tell you, and, and by the way, if you apply, then we know where you are. So, goddamn it, piss us off. You'll hear somebody knocking on the fucking door. Last knows those people up in fucking the Bronx or wherever. What what was that? The social club up, up there? I'm not talking about any of that. The if Bergen you, Hunt and Fish Club? Not talking about any of that. If you are a member of the Cult of Cornet and you watch the shows, whether it's Monday or Wednesday or... Friday or whatever other day they may be, there are probably going to be threads on the group page so you can have a conversation with other members of the Cult of Cornet while these events are taking place. Well, there you go. So you can do that too, whatever the fuck it is you just said. Exactly. All right. Oh, and, and we got to mention also uh, on the uh, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, uh, which thank you, everybody, been listening to the uh, the clips lately, but our illustrious and and priceless i mean you know you can't put a price on him he's he, he's absolutely worth nothing and we'll give no, you 25 percent off that and take 25 percent no travis heckle what a job he's he is in the louisville area also and he was one of the hundred thousand whatever the fuck people without power and he was continuing to submit the fine artwork by going and healing the fucking free Wi-Fi at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. He hit them both because they, they kicked him out of McDonald's. They said, sir, you've, you've got to leave. You've been here for nine hours, and all you're doing is drawing pictures of what appears to be cartoons. Are you trying to potentially lure children into that panel van you're driving? And they kicked him out. I don't think it was that. And I don't think we should be joking about that with a man like Travis Heckle. Well, I know I wasn't going to bring up his parole officer and all the things that he had to say, but go ahead. But we thank Travis for doing. That's right. Going over and above and beyond and around and about and coming back again, submerging past everything to triumph. He's very popular, you know. He's very popular. Popular. Yes. That's what I said. All right. Well, this is your show. No, it's not. See, now we wild got card one for you too. Wild card, it's your show. <laughs> you know, you can't. This is not a tag team match, playa. Did you, you see that? You can't just tag off. Someone sent a video. I forget it was on Twitter or where it was. Did you see tag team boxing? What? No. It I was. Have... It was on DAZN. D A Z N. 
Oh, we finally figured out how to pronounce that. And now you now you just say it every day. I saw like a 90 second clip of when, you know, one guy tags the other guy, fucking monster pop. And then the other guy jumps and starts bopping around and he starts throwing some punches. And then the other guy quickly makes a tag after getting rocked a little bit. But I'd never seen, I didn't even know about this. And I need to find out more about Was it. this here in this country or was this one of these crazy Polish things that they do over there or what? Tag team boxing, I'm looking up. Because I guess if you were if you were doing good, you wouldn't tag out. But if you start, if you get rocked, you could run over and tag real quick for real, and it would work. Well, hence why they had tag team wrestling. That was the reasoning behind that a hundred years ago. Here's an article from MMAmania.com with uh, clips. It says highlights: Los Pineda Coladas versus the Fantastic Two. Tag team boxing match ends with wild KO. Where is this? It's well, in, uh, it's in England. Coladas. It's in England. Wow, in I never England? would have guessed. Telford, England. At the Telford International Center. Oh, well, now everybody knows where, where they're at. I'm going to save this link. I will send it to you so you can check this out. Tag Team Boxing. This is what we've come to now. Well, somebody might as well do it. Hey, look, they got a monster pop there bigger than any AEW tag team. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Some They might as well use it in boxing. We're barely using tag team wrestling anymore with the state of tag teams. What do you think about, without having seen this and not knowing any of the rules, but knowing tag team wrestling, if you're wearing a boxing glove, what should be the, re- what is the requirement to make a tag what should love be to glove right top to bottom or does it have to be that's what i'm saying does the glove- well okay i mean you could get you could get fancy because in the, the olympic boxing don't, don't they have the zone on the gloves or whatever a different color where you know it's some element of the scoring it's been so long since i've paid attention but uh uh, or in amateur boxing in general, they may have something like that. So maybe you have to touch, maybe there's a white circle on the top of the, the glove that you have to touch circle to circle with the guy or whatever, if you want to get fancy, but I guess you couldn't like give guy. Well, but then that would eliminate the, the high five tag with the boxing glove. That could become a thing. If the fucking, let's say the guy that's in the ring pops the other guy and the guy's dizzy and he's fucking dazed you could go over and you could fucking high five your other guy to come in and pickle him while he was down that would be the heel team i don't know well i will get you some footage here to check out but before we get to that maybe, or we, else, can, maybe we can start reviewing that instead of what we've been watching lately if they do promos we may be on to something there you go but speaking of things that we've been reviewing lately and things that we're going to review today Jim, the latest episode of AEW, AEW, the latest episode of WWE Rivals features The Rock and John Cena, two of the biggest stars of all time. Yes, it did. And I have notes here with which to discuss it. Um, I like, again, I like the, the classic video. Uh, and of course, as we've mentioned, I guess they just want to do this as a concept for the show to make it different than the biographies or the documentaries where they have Freddie Prinze as the host and the panel 
of people, and I'm not knocking anybody on the panel, but I just I don't know why we need a host and a panel on this show. Like, you know, or maybe if there was one guy, and it and it wouldn't be Freddie Prince, just because he's not recognized by fans as a wrestling personality. If they got you know one of their legends under contract to be the host of the show that was kind of in the company during the particular era of that the rivalry is being discussed, then I could see, you know, them having a host, but I, the panel just takes up room, but we say that every week, but I think the, the story with rock and Cena here and it's, it, the show flies by because it's only 45 minutes instead, you know, the biographies are two. Oh, by the way, the biographies are two hours. We get two hours on China, which we'll talk about at some point in the future. And two hours on, you know, fucking the ultimate fucking warrior. They're doing a Jerry Lawler biography coming up, and it's an hour. Are you serious? Yeah, they're doing a, in a week or two. Uh, on So they're doing two one-hour biographies instead of a two-hour on one subject. And Lawler is one of them. I can't remember who the other one is. No, but I'm like, Jesus Christ. I became He's, a wrestler, Andy Kaufman. I signed the WWE, and then that's the rest of the documentary. Yeah, I'm t- he he has actually been a professional wrestler for over fifty years. He had died and came back to wrestling. Uh, he ran for mayor in his hometown twice and almost did pretty decent the first fucking time. He's hosted his own television show in town. He's uh, been an artist. Whatever the case. You can find shit to talk about. But nevertheless, back to this one. They basically briefly highlighted, you know, The Rock and put him over. And and as Rock became more of a movie star, then Cena emerges as the top guy. And even though there's backlash, you know, from the smart fans, uh, he becomes the guy. And and that's, that's really interesting is that it kind of happened the same thing, but completely different. It kind of happened with rock and Cena in that the fans just hated rock at the start because he was, you know, being not only pushed down their throat, but brand new and a nice guy and the smile and whole nine yards and the die Rocky die thing, which the, which the company was kind of seeing and let, Rocky turn his head and come up with some way to reinvent himself and channel that, right? But with Cena, when the same thing was happening, they said, fuck it. We just (laughs) let them do it. (laughs) And they'll get over it. And And as we see now, and we'll talk about modern day Raw here in this program somewhere, they have gotten over it. Now they fucking cream themselves every time Cena comes out. Because they thought what well, they were, you know what I think it was? They're like Mama Cornette used to say. They were longing for the good old days when fucking Cena came along. They said, we wish we had the rocks. So they booed him. But now Cena looks better than whatever they've got practically in front of them today. Nevertheless. They, they, you know, profiled these guys, and then all they had to do was tell the story that Cena started of knocking the rock for not coming back and being a movie star and wanting to be an actor and 
maybe part-time guy and him being there full-time. And they started the war of words. And that's, that's really the rest of the program here and all you needed with these two. It's incredible. When you go back and look at compilations of all the promos and the tweets and the witty things that they came up with and said to each other and the way that they said it and how over both those guys were, you know, that you can tell that's why they fucking did two WrestleManias in a row. Do you, do do you not agree young Brian? I agree. I enjoyed those clips almost as much as any of the actual, I mean, it wasn't that much wrestling footage. And the wrestling footage they showed was clipped and it was only the end of the matches, yeah. I mean, this was uh, this was completely, we're going to talk them in the building by the two best in the world at it at the time. And, you know, the again, I would have cut down a lot of the talking heads talking about how great it was and showed more of the stuff of how great it was. And by the way, is that Brian Gerwitz? I don't know that I've seen video of him. I've seen a picture, but I've never, I don't think I've seen video or heard him speak. And he is the ultimate nerd, isn't he? Man, it's so funny to hear you say that. I saw him on there and I was like, man, this guy looks like the biggest dork I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. I heard that he and Heyman, that's one time Heyman got in trouble because he and Heyman had a screaming match that almost degenerated into a slap fight at Titan Tower, and that fucking even Heyman didn't level this fucking guy. I've lost all the respect for Paul. And this was 40 or 50 or 60 pounds ago for Paul. But anyway. um, But he latched onto the rock, so. Well, there you go. He's a pebble now. I had forgotten, truthfully, the main event of WrestleMania 27 in 2011 was John Cena versus The Miz. God damn With it. Alex Riley. Remember that? Uh, no, I didn't I didn't even, <laughs> I don't even know who the fuck that is. I wasn't watching then. But just I mean my The Rock is the host, John Cena is challenging The Miz. So Jesus Christ. Not to jump ahead. But again, it's been a long time. Or was he challenging or was he defending? Or no, the other, Cena lost because of The Rock. So whatever the fuck was it. The Miz was in the main event at WrestleMania. Go ahead. There was another point I had forgotten about where Cena said he had a tag team partner for, I think, Survivor Series. And it was going to be The Rock. Who was the tag team they were yelling at? The Miz and R-Truth. Yes. I've, I made note of that later. Was that a... <laughs> Was that a troubled period in the company's existence or did somehow lightning just struck and they put those guys in that spot? There have been roster issues for a long time and it stood out as a sore thumb when you see it now after the fact that these are the two guys that The Rock and John Cena are going to team up against. I will, I actually, yeah, I've made a note here. I said they booked Rock and Cena versus Miz and R-Truth. It's like Secretariat versus Beetlebaum. <laughs> Very good. But, uh, but anyway, but but then, thankfully, uh, they got to the meat of the matter. They did a one-year build for that first match. And I remember a lot of the discussion and the et cetera, even though I was immersed in Ring of Honor, everybody was still talking about that at, at the point in time. But that's the best thing they could have done. I mean, the the worst thing would have been Oh, goddamn, somebody gets hurt, but Rock wasn't wrestling 
spare was sparingly right and just to do the angles and cena has always been a pretty safe style and an iron man so they had balls to do that but can you think of any two other guys they could have done that with in the business that could have kept it interesting without doing physical angles all the time or you just kept it interesting period verbally like that these guys were incredible well i will say it, they did keep it interesting but it is a lot more interesting when you cut it up and you don't have months well, in between yeah. things like they did here the, here when you lay out the story like they did here it's an amazing brilliant story from beginning to end because you know the tweets and everything else and the comments by cena it's put together perfectly but it took years and then i <laughs> Was this, because I wasn't paying close attention, as I'd, I've admitted, but was this their twist on it, or did Cena actually get the Fruity Pebbles endorsement deal after the fact of The Rock calling him Fruity Pebbles? I'm not sure. I mean, I know what they said in the documentary, but I didn't even think about it being the that other That would around. be fantastic. Well, no, that that's what I'm saying, because they said that in the documentary, that Cena turned it around and got an endorsement out of The Rock making fun of him, calling him Fruity Pebbles. If that was the case, rather than Fruity Pebbles going to be a sponsor and Rock said, well, I'll fucking call you. If they knew that the cereal was going to be a sponsor beforehand, that kind of takes the the fun out of that. So I like the way they told it, but I'd I'd like to know for sure. But nevertheless, at least it wasn't Magic Spoon or something. They've got video coverage of all of this backstage stuff and and just the different camera angles and the stuff you never see of the modern era because they're always shooting for documentaries and you know you can have a camera anywhere whereas back in bruno's day even if you could take one of those giant fucking television cameras just around anywhere you wanted they wouldn't have had the the kayfabe footage to begin with but it is nice for them to be able to put these documentaries and things together with stuff like that but uh, you know when they did the promos nobody today i mean you you can say mjf and honestly this is a whole different level of not even cutting convincing wrestling promos this is off the cuffs shit this is the inflection the delivery and i think mjf's capable of it but he's never had anybody at this level to, to at his level like these two did where they're pretty fucking even in their own inimitable styles mjf's not had anybody to really joust with like this but can anybody say that they're talking to each other in the wrestling business like this today no there's it, it's you know it's it's so far above what's <laughs> And I'm not even knocking, I guess, the modern guys most of the time when I say that, because how often are you going to find a fucking Cena or a Rock? But it just points out why that everybody's longing for the old days and the stars to come back, because where do you get personalities like this? And then when fucking Cena pointed out Rock's promo notes on his fucking wrist, and that was, that was uh, I'm sure not accepted very well by the rock on live tv in the middle of the fucking ring and i mean cena's still doing an element of apologizing for the way that he went about it and he goaded 
rock into the match and and it's good they're telling that story because that's it's wrestling we don't know where the real part ends and the work begins i would think vince had a lot to do with that as well that they couldn't just come out and fucking talk about but you could believe all this shit and and the fans could see that the guys were actually you know fucking firing at each other verbally with shit that they might not know was coming. And that's, that's what we're missing with, with wrestling is you, you, you can't get the idea that any of it's happening spontaneously or without cooperation anymore, either physically or verbally. Don't you think? Well, the other thing is it's about seeing the big picture. If we are to believe that the rock and Cena were going out there, not knowing what the other one was going to say and zinging each other. And there wasn't exactly warm feelings at that moment between them. That means after the fact they went in the back and they still, and there's the wind. That means <laughs> after the fact they went in the back and they still decided they could do business together. That's the difference. I don't know how many, I mean, we just saw CM Punk and Adam page different kind of scenario because it was more of a shot to fuck the person as opposed to trying to build something. Or get yeah, well, but also if Adam Page ever was put in a fucking position where he was part of something that could have made the money of fucking Rock and Cena, he'd be sucking a guy's fucking tallywhacker fucking He'd makeup. have a meltdown. He'd have a meltdown. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to do that. But I think, uh, what was your question again? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that. <laughs> nobody is believable like this. And, and with the zingers in the ring, when you said, well, they're going in and, and not knowing what the other guy's going to say. No, they, I, let's face it. I think everybody knows enough to know, but I'll guarantee you they had an outline and I'm pretty sure that they had, uh, some idea of where they were going to get to at the finish and things that they were going to touch on along the way but both those guys had the freedom that they don't have to be like some of the regular talent and get criticized if they don't use all the big words and the oddball terminology that doesn't sound like them, but they do it anyway in kind of a monotonous... No, these guys can go out there and fucking... They can riff a little bit or, you know, hit the fucking notes the way they want them. But at the same time... That's why Rock definitely, I don't think, knew that, oh, the notes on your wrist. That wasn't, he He might have known what they were going to talk about otherwise, but he didn't know that was coming. And then he's got to figure out some way to make the other motherfucker uncomfortable on live television at some point, still within the parameters of doing business, not trying to undermine or take up for his friends or sabotage the whole program to, you know, verbally get one up on the guy it's it's this was the constructive shooting where you're needling a guy enough where you get legitimate feelings back and a little and a light of fire under his ass as they used to say where he's going to fire back up it was it's actually what muhammad ali did to joe frazier because he knew frazier wasn't a good enough talker or good enough worker to be able to carry it off if he was trying and if Frazier was a nice guy and whatever. So Ali pissed him off for real with all that shit to draw all that money 
to the point where Frazier still hated him years and years and years after the fucking fight. Even when Ali had told him I was doing all this, you know, to make us money. So, but that's, uh, that's what the constructive part of the shooting in this was, you know, and honestly, when they had the match, 2012 is what, 11 years ago, they could, it was a legends match where both of them still, I mean, the rock looked incredible and Cena had not reached, you know, elder statesman you know, status at that point and completely become a movie star. So he was still in, in shape and they could both still go, even though it, you weren't going to see any, you know, moonsaults or goddamn elbow drops off the top rope through the ringside desk because these guys were worth tens of millions of dollars to their respective selves and companies. And you couldn't do shit like that and risk that injury. But where they made up with it, they had great false finishes because they had signature moves that were over and ways that they could each foil the other's signature moves and take the audience on a... And Pat Patterson was, I'm sure, closely involved in shit like that to take the people on the ride so they felt like they had seen the dream match because they couldn't tell what was going to happen. They couldn't call the winner. And Iraq won the first one. Uh, and then they set up another one at the Rumble. You know, Cena wins the Rumble and Iraq beats Punk for the title. And I remember at some point, I think people were going, oh, what the fuck? Did they make a three-way or whatever? No, because this is Ali Frazier too. And they do it again at Mania the next year. And this time also, I'm sure that do you think at that point since rock was mostly a movie star cena was still mostly wwe material that cena would have lost the first one if they hadn't known that there was going to be a second one and he was going to win it the last one you wouldn't think so no so but is wouldn't you know who won the pony the next year cena won that one and they didn't do two out of three. Because that way they're still even. But the but the important thing in this instance was who won the last one. And that was Cena, who was still more uh, involved with the WWE than Rock was going to be going forward. And the Rock passed the torch with holding his hand up. And then they both end up as movie stars. But this was, you know... It, Again, with as over as the two guys were and the way that they could talk and the platform that they had with WWE programming to be able to broadcast whatever they did around the fucking world, there was no way that this was not going to be record-setting business, which it was for the time. It was a big deal, and the big moment that always stuck with me was Cena calling out The Rock for having the notes on his hand. <laughs> that was a big deal, and it kind of it changed the way I think some people saw The Rock. Because you knew he had writers always, but now he can't even remember what his lines are out there or what the bullet points are. So I think that yeah, was. I mean, a he, yeah, he didn't have he didn't have a script on his wrist, but I I can you know you have bullet points whether in your head or on your palm of your hand or whatever. But this was a really good special. Again, other than the fact that it's disjointed with all the Freddie Prince stuff, nothing against him and 
his uh, wacky team of investigators there, but I don't think we need that on the show. It adds nothing. <laughs> his wacky team of investigators. What are they doing? The lights are out. There's just blue lights. He's uh, leaning over the table like they're plotting some kind of investigation. What the fuck is going I on? I know, and it, at one point, they, a, a talking head was Gargano telling us how great, what was he, fucking seven? And he's a mumble mouth, which I never realized because I hate his promos. Why would he be the talking head on this thing? Because he was watching television at the time. That's you know maybe he was that's wrestling the best. at the time. He was already wrestling. He wasn't. Oh come on! In two thousand what twelve? He's only fucking nineteen right now. Oh give me a break! He? Give me a break! He's a bit older than that. Uh, well, he's he's gotten old with me. It don't take a lot of his gravy to go all over my plate. But if maybe that's the perfect job for Gargano in the WWE is watching other people on television and then just commenting on what he saw rather than actually doing it himself. It's nice when stuff happens during that period of time where Bruce was fired for cause because then he's not in any of these documentaries. It makes that a really nice added feature. You had to fucking throw for cause in there. I was just being, I like to put the facts and the truth out there. Did I say anything that was wrong? You know, sometimes it should be for fault. Your fault. No, it was your fault. Well, I'm firing you for fault. For cause anyway, and fault. Anyway, whose fault is this? Um, uh, this show today, this is your fault, but okay. on that note, lots of things, including podcasts that lots of people enjoy, could use some renovations. Maybe the main roster of one or two companies can use a renovation, and perhaps your bathroom could use a renovation. Oh, boy, I tell you what, my bathroom after this morning, my morning Russo... Holy mackerel, the the walls are now light brown and they're slightly dripping. And besides that, I had to get Harley a gas mask before she was able to come in there and use her little pee pad. But I'll tell you what, folks, if you would like to upgrade your home so it doesn't smell or look like the inside of a toilet, well, the best place to start is where you keep your toilet. And that's your bathroom. And if next to your toilet, where you do all your defecating and perpetrating is a shower or a bathtub or both. Now, right there, I don't know how that we as a human race came to the point where we're just putting places where we cleanse ourselves right next to places where we do the doo-doo. It seems like you'd want to keep those places apart so there wouldn't be any cross-pollination or contamination. But I'll tell you what I need you to do right now, folks. I need you to, as soon as this program is over with, maybe even put it on pause. I need you to run to your bathroom. And I need you to stick your head in your shower or your bathtub and take a big old sniff and tell me what, and if it smells like the crotch of Oprah Winfrey's pantyhose, if it smells like a man eating Fremunda cheese in a septic tank of a slaughterhouse, if the smell coming emanating from your shower or bathtub could bluff a buzzard off a gut wagon, then you need to do something because you got some cross contamination going on there. You're 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 trying to clean yourself in a dirty facility. And I'll tell you here's another way. You know, Brian, when you take a bath in the bathtub, sometimes when you let the water out, it leaves a ring on the tub. Well, it's time to change your bathtub if the bathtub is leaving a ring around your waist. <laughs> All of these things are a sign, folks. 
Uh, What's yes. the matter? I'm telling you, you ever noticed that that green and slightly black shade almost turns to olive and it comes right around your navel? I have not noticed that, no. Well, that's because you had West Shore Home do your bathroom remodeling. Folks, it's the fastest growing shower and bath remodeling company in the United States. They fully replace your old shower or bathtub with their modern space age, incredibly scientific designs, shower or baths, and in just one day, because they got experts on this. You schedule a free in-home remodeling preview, and they will come over whenever it's convenient. You tell them when, they'll come over. Morning, noon, or night. They'll sleep out in the backyard if they have to, to be there first thing in the morning. And they will not be sleeping in anyone's yard. They'll be sleeping no, they'll par- at they'll home. Park a, and they'll park a brown panel van with Missouri plates in front of your neighbor's house. So nobody will be none the wiser. That won't be happening. And then they bring their design consultants and you get to pick of what you want your shower or bath to look like. They've got laser etched designs, built in seats, shelves, doors, windows, magnetic shower heads, multiple colors. It's amazing. And then they bring the stuff over. You've seen the TV commercials with the time-lapse photography. And in one day, they replace the bath or the shower. Take the old one out, throw it right out in the backyard. You can let the dog take a bath in it later on. And they'll put the new one in and then do all of the cleanup. And then they'll sit right down with you and have dinner at your brand new uh, shower or bathtub right there. You just bring the TV trays in because they're going to have it ready to use before dinner. That's a big thing with West Shore Home. And you do not have to do anything. You don't have to lift a fee. You have to pay for it, but not much and not quickly. <laughs> See? No, I'm telling you. <laughs> no, they've got financing. <laughs> you can be as lackluster as you want to because they got financing available. You can use this shit. You might even be dead by the time you need to start paying for it. Oh, stop. Don't the say that. They can, well, don't if you're older. That. I'm just saying, roll the dice. You may get this for free. You never know. <laughs> but nevertheless, say what? You're not going to get it for free, but you are, as Jim said before, going to get it for the right price, a fair well, yeah, price, and a good once price. Again, if you get one of these bathroom jobs from West Shore Home and you finance it and you die before you have to pay for it, well, you got it for free. So you got that going for you in your back pocket again. But like I said, just call these folks and I can't wait till springtime also because they've also got a window and door division. You can check their website to see which locations you can request the free window and door remodeling preview. And I've got some doors that are going to be knocked down and replaced this year. But folks, happiness is just a phone call away. And that way, the, the, the shower will be spotless. The bathtub will be immaculate. And you'll go back to the old way of doing things, where you get the shower or tub dirty instead of the other way around. That's what you're shooting for. Don't let Andre the Giant crap in your tub, but nevertheless. <laughs> right now, go to promo.westshorehome.com slash gym. And they will know that you are affiliated with us, and they will give you all the real information instead of kayfabing you, trying to play the old army game with you. 
giving you a bunch of who shot John. If you go to promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim, well, then they know that you got the secret knock and you're a, a kayfabe member of the community. And right now, are you ready, Brian? <laughs> Who you hitting if over you there? live, I'm getting ready. I'm stretching for this one. <laughs> if you live in or around the following communities, you can take advantage of the most incredible shower and bath remodeling job that you will ever get. And they are as follows. Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Richmond, Salisbury, Virginia Beach, Winston-Salem, Charlotte, Greenville, Asheville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Charleston, Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, Greenville, New Bern, Columbia, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Orlando, Ocala, Tampa, Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, Oklahoma City, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Phoenix, Denver, Colorado Springs, and Salt Lake City. Promo.westshorehome.com slash Jim. <laughs> well, that's right. But Jim, before we go too much further and before we continue renovating things over here, let's go back in time and let's go to the AEW Revolution Review, which we recorded yesterday as we are recording today. Let's go right now to Jim's review of AEW Revolution. Well, we are back. To the future, right here on this show, recording at a time, at a step, but we are talking about the AEW Revolution 2023 pay-per-view event from San Francisco, and of course, to review it, the star of the drive through I'm doing an intro for what, what do you do? I don't know what I'm doing, here he is. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're watching too much <laughs> wrestling, we're talking about too much wrestling, we're, we're recording constantly every day, we don't know where we're at in the space-time continuum, but we have just finished watching, and I don't even know if I've said this earlier in this program, since we're doing this part of the program before the other part of the program, but nevertheless, it'll all be made clear when you hear the program. I wasn't awake long enough to watch this in its entirety or give it a chance, and the match that I wanted to see would have been on after I nodded off, which I was asleep at about 9 o'clock last night. So I got up bright and early on a Monday morning, and I started watching this pay-per-view at about 7.45 today, a.m., and it's it's just completed, and I've seen a bit of the media scrum, and it's fresh in my mind, and now we are recording this to to get this in the pipeline. That's that's what we're telling people here, right? That's the truth of the matter. Brian, you should have said it that way. That's right. The pipeline or the main line depends on what kind of fan you are of AEW, I guess. <sighs> did you see the pre-show? Before we talk about the big event, no, did you see no. the pre-show? No, I didn't see the pre-show, the buy-in, or the countdown. It was I got the pay-per-view where I could watch it on a real television, uh, and there was a countdown show. But no, for the same reason that I never understood why Ring of Honor had to have a pre-show, a show before the show, where you have the in though in their case they had the least seasoned, most underneath talent go out and have matches before they saw the good talent have the matches. So what what kind of appetizer is that? It's like having dinner before dinner. It doesn't make you hungry for more. You've Now you've ruined your appetites. No, I didn't see the fucking pre-show. If they weren't good enough to be on this show, they shouldn't have been aired at all. It wasn't even about the wrestling. They had a match, a six-man match, 
with Josh Woods and who is Josh Woods' friends? I forget. But Josh Woods and his friends with Smart Mark Sterling against Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers. Ouch. So um, it wasn't even about that. And the fans Um, obviously happy to see Mark Briscoe. Should have been a singles match for Mark Briscoe, quite frankly. Um, but he should have been in a feature match on this pay-per-view, but go ahead. This pre-show was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. They had Renee. So, so that's why you wanted me to see it. You had to see it. It was so bad that it was unfathomable. Renee Moxley good is in the arena standing there and she's talking into the mic and doing the pre-show stuff, but they're playing the audio from the arena. So you just hear her. It just sounds like, you know, booming. Like Bob Shepard at Yankee Stadium. You hear her like this big voice and she's doing this. But if you listen to what she's saying, she's not doing a great job of selling this. And then she shoots to the second person on the broadcast team for this pre-show. I think his name was RJ City. And he's on what they say was a red carpet. Because there's a red carpet with no media. There's a red carpet for AEW Revolution. And RJ City's a rather flamboyant comedic character oh having boy. little comedic bits that were beyond horrible with various people from Dan Housen to Orange Cassidy and others. Okay. Now this and Jericho, this is still on my DVR. I have not had time to erase <laughs> the memory of this. So should I go back and look for this fucking RJ city character? Is it bad enough to be good? I've heard good things about him. I've never heard of him as as far as I can. I've heard good things about him, that he's funny, that he's creative. Maybe it's the setting and the way this was used. I don't even think he's the fault. I don't even know if Renee Moxley Good is at fault here. Whoever produced this to sell the pay-per-view is a complete idiot. (laughs) This was one of the worst things. It was so bad, I couldn't believe it. And at at one point, I was just watching this. I was like, is anyone else... Does anyone else understand how bad this is? And I immediately realized on social media, yeah, everyone understood how bad this was. Everybody figured it out. You have to see it, though. It's uh, pretty bad. But that was the pre-show. And then we got the main show, which opened with one of the big matches, Chris Jericho versus Ricky Starks. Well, it's the big show. Um, you with, know, with Jim Ross on commentary to start the show. Yeah, well, we got him for three matches. And then he must have gone to sleep. Uh, cause then, uh, he tagged out and we never heard from him again. It's so awkward at that point where they're like, all right, well, thanks for coming, Jim. Hey, just... thank you for stopping by. And we got to get to the big off. stuff now. <laughs> Why wouldn't it, if you were going to use Jim Ross on the pay-per-view, why wouldn't you just save it for the main event, a 60 minute Ironman match? He's called a number of them. Familiarity with Danielson, with drama. Instead of just sticking him out there for the shit that it's just like dynamite matches anyway. It's ridiculous. And I understand that Jim Ross isn't what he once was. And at his age, you can't expect him to be, right? You can't. No. So if you're not going to leave him out there for four hours with this interminable shit going on, then make it the, the big match. Because when it comes to the commentary team, to me, and, you know, we could talk later on the show, and I know I'm a broken record on some of these things, but I try to actually make them improve things. That's what I want. Jim Ross left and Tony Schiavone replaced him. And for the rest of the card, did Tony Schiavone say a single thing other than a variation of, 
Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> this is wild. I'm having just such a great time. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Or he repeats what the person says before. Wow, what an amazing tiger driver. Oh, that tiger driver. Like, he doesn't even know what he's saying. So it's either because they're afraid of the chemistry with Jim Ross and Taz and Excalibur, or they're afraid of Jim Ross saying whatever he wants to say on commentary, which may or may not be to the benefit of the match. It would have been all complimentary in the main event. I can, there are several matches there that they better be more than happy that Jim Ross was not on a live mic in front of. But <laughs> the main right. event wasn't one of them. No, it wasn't. And again, Shivani doesn't add anything. He was perfect in the role they used him in for a brief moment at the end of the match. That's exactly how to use Tony Shivani. But on commentary saying nothing, it's better to have nothing. It's better just to have Taz and Excalibur and let things breathe a little bit than to have another voice just pop in to reinforce that he's really happy to be alive. Do you think now do they just think they have to have three people, regardless of who those people are? They have to have three now somehow. They've figured, well, we can't just do normal shit. Ida, anyway. Um Jericho and Stark starting it out, and the people love Ricky Starks. I was wondering when he came out, who taped his fucking ribs? They've got, have you ever seen a rib tape job like that? It was like three inches wide. It was literally like a fucking three inch tape band around him rather than the rib support tape job that you're normally used to seeing. It was off putting to me visually. Well, he's got good gut health. From what I understand. <laughs> well, he's, he's gone to seed, but we'll talk about that at some point in the program. And, you know, at least, again, they're trying to tell a story. Uh, Jericho took over by dropping Starks' ribs across the ropes and got heat. And honestly, you know, it's Jericho knows exactly what to do. He can only do it at about 65% speed these days. I think that's what he's a master at conserving energy and walking instead of running, where you don't notice it. As badly as you do with some people, but this was a TV match. It just had a TV match feel and a TV match pace and and a TV match. The people really wanted Starks to win because they like Starks. And finally, they did a TV finish. Jericho gets the Lion Tamer. Starks fights out, gets a single leg Boston Crab. And here comes Sammy Guevara running down. The, as soon as he runs down, there's Action Andretti. Out of nowhere, and tackled him. And while the referee's watching this, Jericho is in the <laughs> in the single leg crab, but reaches and crawls and gets the bat. And Starks is supposed to let go, and, and he wouldn't let go for a while. And Jericho had to reach back and give him the Iggy, and he lets go to go look at the referee and turns around, and Jericho hits him in the ribs, the bad ribs with the bat. And then stands up and goes for the Judas, and Starks blocks it. Like this, is there a, a winner for worst finishing maneuver that we can, you know, or a, a honor for that in the Observer Awards that we can give to Judas? You think Starks that's the worst finishing maneuver, the Judas effect? Well, he only hits it half the time, and it's, goddamn, it's hard to take a good bump off of, and then... If you notice when he goes for this and Starks just put his fucking forearms up and blocked it and he stopped and they were just, 
if he was swinging with any force, he would have knocked fucking Starks off his goddamn feet, even if he'd hit him in the elbows, right? It was just a block like, beep, oh. And then Starks hit his finish, one, two, three. The fans liked the result. It was a TV match. Starks is capable of more. I can't imagine what Jericho's going to look like if this is year one of his 10-year contract and year nine of his 10-year contract. He'll look like the South Park version of Rod Stewart when they roll him out on stage to sing, Do You Think I'm Sexy? And the answer will be no. I thought it was, yeah. a, f- I thought it was a fine match. Uh, I can't really complain about a hot crowd. They were really into it. Jericho, like you said, the biggest complaint about his in-ring work here is just that he can't do, let alone what he used to do. I think sometimes he can't do what he thinks he can do in the moment. And... The other guy's younger, quicker, faster. I mean, that's kind of the thing that keeps happening. I'm glad it's over. I think it's over. Ricky Starks during the uh, scrum Will it ever be over? Well, during the scrum, Ricky Starks was trying to justify this feud, and he was saying, people keep asking me, you know why? I had to beat him twice after I beat him the first time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I am too. Well, let's hear the answer. He's like, well, now I beat a former world champion twice. So I'm right back to the top of the top 10 contenders list. And I was like, well, first of all, they haven't even talked about their fucking rankings in forever. I think they've given up I was on about those. To say, they used to do that for a while, and then they didn't. Yeah, that was going to be the big thing early on. Tony Khan, when they were trying to sell him as being more than just a billionaire son. No, no, no. He has a business. He does statistics, and they're going to bring this to wrestling. And no, that didn't work out And then all. he found out why that you don't bring that to wrestling. Unless you have a really good plan. What do you do with Jericho next? Um, is there a... Taking, uh, well, you have two options. One, send him home for a while just to refresh him off TV. But two, if you're keeping him on TV, what do you do? I'm thinking, is anybody parking cars? <laughs> no, um, I don't know. God damn it. It's just, he's got this group. I mean, Hager collects a fucking check for absolutely nothing. Sammy Guevara had the opportunity at a couple of different times. As I think we mentioned, you know, we were talking about that ladder match on TV last week. He was an over baby face until the people realized that he's kind of a dick. Once they realized he was a dick, he was an over heel until he just did stupid shit and then got mired down in the group of Jericho. And now I don't know whether they give it shit that much either way, but it's not just about Jericho. If he keeps that giant entourage around, you've got to involve all those fucking people. I don't, maybe the next program with whoever ought to be, if Jericho loses, the group has to break up. And then let's see if Sammy's got anything left on his own. The Garcia, good Lord. He's the only reason now he exists is because he's in that group. Remember we couldn't get rid of him for a while. Now you don't see him outside that thing. Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke <laughs> and fucking Hager. Good God. Can they? They ought to sentence him to community service for as much money as he's stolen from fucking Tony Khan. So break up the it's group. It's nothing special. He's not the only one. Well, but it's just, it's egregious because he's bigger. And with that purple fucking <laughs> hat, you can, you can see him easily. He likes that hat. But anyway, but the next match, and before we talk about old Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and Christian Cage, 
when he challenged for the match last week, it was a no rules match or anything goes or however they termed it, right? Fight. It's what, what they wanted. The, all of a sudden it was a casket match. No, it was happened? not a casket match. Well, what the fuck was it when they put in the guy in the fucking casket? They did not call it a casket match once. Well, what, what did they call it? What was it? Did have a name? They, it wasn't well, buried now, alive because they couldn't use buried alive. They can't use casket because they, they can't, had a Texas WWE. death match that wasn't a Texas death match. So they had a casket match, but it, whatever the I don't know what the fuck they. But it's a casket match, uh, actually a casket buried alive match because the casket wasn't at ringside. The casket was near the entrance stage, surrounded by a graveyard full of dirt and a shovel. So the question ah, is... It's the final burial match. Well, God damn it, that... Because they've both been buried so badly with this feud, it's the final burial. <laughs> I, I don't know, though. I think Baron Von Corbin should have pioneered this fucking concept. But what I'm saying is, on Wednesday night, they challenged for the match, right? And they didn't say anything about this. And suddenly the fucking match comes up in the pay-per-view and it's a casket buried alive final burial match. When did this happen? How did this take place? What was the reason for this? But were they did they get in a fight in a graveyard? Remember I told you there was a Jack Perry promo I saw that was very dark and ominous, and he was like in the shadows and it was smoke and Looking back now, or thinking back now, he may have had a shovel. Maybe he was digging. Well, yes, and there there was the promo on TV that popped up on the screen where he was, you know, digging. But they didn't say anything about this match was going to contain any of these elements on television when they challenged for it, accepted it, announced it, which was just five days ago. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but all of a sudden they come out. Well, there's a casket. There's a graveyard. Maybe they didn't know if they'd be able to secure as much mulch as they needed. But no, that was dirt. That was the, uh. you city boy. That wasn't mulch. <laughs> anyway, they started with a hockey fight, which was the same way that Jericho and Starks started out. But this one looked better because it had more energy. And do me a favor. Look up. What is the age difference between Chris Jericho and Christian Cage? Because, boy, there's a fucking visual difference in how they move around, and Christian is the one that I'm praising here. Christian is three years younger. Okay. So, point it, Christian Cage is, the, is a fucking top heel, and when we get through this, I will explain what I thought about the finish, but... He bailed and ran into the bleachers and Jungle Boy caught him and they had the fight in the crowd. And then, you know, he runs to the stage, but then, oh my God, I'm close to the coffin. And they have the fight on the ramp. But Christian kept this interesting and he kept Jungle Boy on him, kept him coming, kept him aggressive, said it. I mean, obviously this was again a Christian Cage production in terms of who's directing traffic in this thing on the spot and it again every time that jungle boy has a legitimate experienced fucking heel that he's working with he looks great and every time he gets in with some greenhorn or his trampoline friends he's a shits 
but he's got the talent, but he has to be, he has to be led. He can't have a match on his own. We've established that. Or he can't have a match on his own with the, because of his worst instincts with the people that he's friends with. But anyway, Christian, what a fucking heel. He starts the heat. His work is great. And I, I made the note that he needs to be in Jericho's spot. And not just to get young guys over. I'm not to get young guys over, but I'm not saying to put them over. I'm saying to get them over. To work programs with them that get them over. To have matches with them that teach them things. And because apparently, you know, Jericho's lost his mind. And Christian still is has possession of his faculties. Again, you know, and, and he keeps it interesting. Jungle Boy makes a comeback with a dive and he beats Christian up on the floor. But Christian stops him with that leg sweep on the stair deal. And Christian was busted open a little bit hard way, but you can't, it was an accident, obviously. You can't fault anybody for that. But he's, he gets mileage out of whipping Jungle Boy with the belt. And the people are going, ooh, and Jungle Boy's selling it. And it's whipping with a belt. It's not potential paralysis diving through furniture. And it, it the thing that they did in this was they took a preposterous, scenario and stipulation and they still from start to finish and i again i tip my hat to christian on this because if it was jungle boy he'd do it more often they kept it to where it looked like a fight it wasn't ridiculous they didn't do silliness they didn't do shit you couldn't live through they didn't abuse furniture they didn't have barbed wire boards in the cemetery because every cemetery has barbed wire boards just like every wrestling arena doesn't they had a shovel so they used the fucking shovel and they didn't use the shovel like they used the baseball bat or jericho does or whoever the fuck they actually swung the fucking shovel like you're trying to hit a motherfucker with a shovel they kept it to a Again, they made the preposterous posturous. They kept it looking like a fight, and you could at least work with them on the fact that there's a mound of dirt in a fucking casket back there. And finally, Christian opens the casket and pulls chairs out of the fucking coffin. See, I don't usually say coffin because I got Trey Yokozuna scared of those words like that. And they have a big fight by the gravesite. And again, I'm like, why didn't they advertise these stipulations? I and Jungle Boy did a big cannonball off the stage onto Christian and went to use the chair, but Christian kicked him into balls. And, and their shit at least looked good, and they, they gave time to register shit. And finally, he goes to put Jungle Boy, Jungle Jack off, whatever his fucking name is this week, in the the casket, close the lid, Jungle Boy blocks it, fights out, little heel throwing the dirt in the eyes by Christian and hit his finish on the dirt, and then tried for the concerto. But Jungle Boy moved and swung the shovel at the chair. <laughs> they were having a fucking fight. It was actually, it sounds preposterous, but they were making it fucking work. And then... Finally, Jungle Boy gets a snare trap with the shovel as the cross face and then sets up the concerto. And I loved everything, actually, until the concerto, which I still 
just ridiculously offended by because you can't make it look real. The guy has to lay there. Brain should splatter. But he did the concerto, put the Christian in the casket and closed the lid after a very long milk because Jungle Boy is still conflicted about all these violent emotions he has. And when he closed the fucking lid of the casket, the casket falls through the trap door and disappears. So they pulled it off. It was, to me, it was second best thing on the show, but of course that's faint praise with what we're going to come to shortly. Your thoughts, young Brian. I'm surprised by your review. I really liked it. I didn't know how you would take to it. But like you said, it was, in a sense, a ridiculous stage. I mean, it was a stage. They were up there on the stage, and all of a sudden there's dirt, not mulch, and the shovels, and there's a grave. The exit where it falls into the ground was kind of cool. (laughs) but it worked and it was intense and you got into it and them being dirty and beaten made it look even cooler. I really liked it. I I can't say anything really too bad about it. It was better than the feud. It was better than everything we've seen in this feud the last several weeks. And if they were going to do a casket match, a coffin match, uh, what is it? Final burial match. They had to do more to set this up because this could have been a selling point. And it wasn't. I didn't even realize this is what it it was until it appeared on the screen. And here's, I said I was going to comment on the finish. And in all things being equal in normal wrestling, etc., I have no problem with Jungle Boy beating the heel and, you know, he's a baby face, right? The problem I have is that Christian Cage is so fucking good and they need top heels too. They need everybody talks about oh they need a top baby face. They need punk back. They need top heels too. They bad they they need top talent. And every time that they have given Christian any length of time to talk on television, he's immaculate. And every time he has a match, I know he's been injured and it had that injury, it was long-lasting or whatever. Apparently, he's fine now. This was fucking great. I think they should have put him over, and I think they should move him into the upper echelon of the singles fucking mix to get some, not only some new blood, and I'm I'm sorry that he's, you know, late 40s and his new blood, but new blood in that picture, and at the same time, better matches. Hey, remember, too, though, Christian had several years off, so he doesn't have as many bumps on his bump card as other people do. Well, and he and he's smarter with them. And he's, and he's a smart worker, so with those two things together, yeah. it's not crazy. And he takes care of himself, and I don't know that he's ever had any bad habits like many other people. So, again, you know, he can, he can do everything they need somebody to do right now they should be but jungle boy is where jungle boy is going to be i think we've established that he can't he can't talk he don't want to talk he's interesting with some people he's just another flippy do with other people but you know it's been a while maybe he needs to go away so we can miss him and so uh, obviously i would have put christian over because i would be moving him into the top of the picture but it was a Good deal, no matter what. And and then the problem becomes, as we're we're going to start finding out, following shit, and making anything different. Because now on the what was it? Was that the second match or the third match? Wait a minute, Jericho second match across, on the main show. 
Second match, they fought all around the arena. They swung shovels at each other. The goddamn one guy got busted open hard way. And a fucker's been thrown in a coffin and fucking launched into goddamn into the garbage chute. So now <laughs> we're not even halfway through the show. But the next match was for the six-man tag team title. And we knew this was going to happen, sort of like when they predict a hurricane a few days ahead of time. You know it's going to be bad, but you can't do anything to stop it. Kenny and the Buckaroos with Cutlet and Phallus and Knock It Off against the House of Blah with Julia Hart. The corpse referee was there. They had the whole hee-haw gang. And besides Julia Hart and Kansas, that was pretty much the interest I had. I, what are we going to say? It's always the same thing. I can't take their self-indulgent video game bullshit seriously. and. What, Brian, if you watched it, because I'm not going to indulge these people with my time, but wh which word best described it? Contrived, choreographed, sloppy, or nonsensical? Well, maybe a combination of all those at different times, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was all right. It went on forever, and eventually everyone kicks out of everything, but you expect that. But the Elite lost, and the House of Black won. There was a great spot where they were going to do the Melter Driver. And Nick Jackson did his flips, wasn't within four feet of his brother, but he was perfectly placed for a knee from Buddy. That was kind uh, of Well, and I, I did see the finish where the House of Black win and then disappear. And that's all I could hope for from the House of Blah. And the division and the six-man tag team titles. Uh, all right, so obviously... I'm just, I'm watching the wrestling matches, uh, so I skipped the Buckaroo Banzais, but the next match was for the women's title, a three-way, Jamie Hayter versus Soraya versus Ruby Soso. And I thought, well, I just skipped a match, so I'll watch this match. Yes, as we know, three-ways are always rotten, at least in the wrestling terminology context. And this is going to be a mess because no rules or whatever, but I'm going to try to give him a chance, right? Because Soraya was a big star in the wrestling business at one time here not too long ago. And we like Jamie Hayter. She got some potential. I don't know what the fuck's going on with old Ruby Soso. Now she's got a green mohawk. Did you see this? Yeah, I was watching the match. Uh, but with this is the girls' match. Now, bear in mind, we have a one-hour Iron Man match to come for the AEW title. We have a, a supposed Texas death match advertised heavily between two former champions left to come. Within 30 seconds of the bell ringing, Soraya has thrown Jamie Hayter into the crowd. Ruby has drop-kicked Soraya off the apron and almost killed herself in the process. They're doing dives into the arena in the crowd. The fucking girls match is in the crowd in the first two minutes. Now we are starting to see a pattern of Tony Khan's lack of leadership, knowledge, and authoritarianism in his own company penalizing the people that's drawing the money, the main event stars. So anyway, um, let me ask you this. Brian, I, when I, I was a kid, I loved to watch Tarzan Theater on Channel 11, Saturday afternoons at 2 o'clock. 
And Johnny Weissmuller was such a hero to me. I actually wrote a, away and got a autographed picture of him. What if Cheetah, what if Cheetah had kicked the shit out of the evil ivory poachers before Tarzan even got there? What would have been left for the fucking star to do? Uh, anyway, so I tried to watch this, but what the fuck? It's girls doing shit to each other over and over with no fucking thought or logic. Jamie Hayter won after some kind of big, awkward clusterfuck thing where they were rolling each other up and whatever. And then suddenly on the floor, Tony Storm wiped out Britt Baker and then got on somebody, and I can't remember because who is on whose fucking side? Every goddamn babyface that we had established in the female division two months ago is now a heel, and every fucking high-priced babyface girl that they have brought in to great fanfare as a game-changer is now a hated, despicable fucking heel. And Ruby Shitcan Soraya and Tony Storm and then turned around and kicked Jamie Hayter in the face and gave Britt some fucked up finish. So she had, in the space of 30 seconds, physically manhandled every everybody else in the fucking deal. So then Tony Storm <laughs> responded to this treatment by grabbing one of the floor cameramen and knocking him over and smashing his camera on the floor. For what reason, I'm not sure, because he didn't figure into it again, because then Soraya gave the green paint to Ruby, and she painted Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Who the f who is on whose side here, and why do I give a shit? There's no reason to give a shit. This was horrible. This feud, this series of angles, the spray paint, the promos, everything since Soraya arrived. Not turning Hater on Brit. I mean, that not, was, that, we're that, having like, Brit turn on Hater. Whatever you want to do. That but. Was, no, that was made. Remember about what? About three or four months ago, that the people were going to fucking cream themselves when Jamie Hater finally said no to Brit Baker. No, now Brit hops out to the ring with her like her sidekick, and they got rid of Reba. <laughs> they thought that was the better solution. This division mm. is terrible. This match was terrible. You didn't miss anything. Ruby Soho, now a heel, aligned with the other people who are the NWO of this group. I don't know. They represent the people from Connecticut that <laughs> let them go. I'm not sure exactly what this is supposed to be other than terrible. Soraya was a mistake to sign. Tony Storm has not been used well if you wanted to use her well. I'd I, like to use her well, but nevertheless, we're talking stop about that. now, sir, you keep going in the gutter. But Ruby, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people really like Ruby. And like you said, she tries really hard, but, but you know, look, uh, the other, on the other hand, I think they use this match to break up the elite match and the next match. Well, it broke them up. Almost brought me to tears. But that's, again, they have managed to wipe away when everybody turns at the same time for nebulous reasons and it's an undercard situation to begin with that now everybody's just confused as well wait a minute because and so many there's so many people out there with multicolored hair and all the fucking gear that once there's six or seven of them tussling you can't tell 
frick from frack and who's on whose side and who's fighting what. It's a god. It's just chaos. It's like a goddamn cell phone video of a Waffle House fight. <sighs> Speaking of people who ought to be working at the Waffle House, should we go on to the next match so we can get this out of the way? A lot of people want to hear what you're going to have to say about the next match. This may be the most uh, in-demand review of the show. This in the main No, event. well, only because people were offended and would like someone to speak on their behalf. They want somebody to fucking vent their frustration at why that these two are allowed to, to, to honestly, at this point, have a job in this fucking company. And I know, you know, Hangnail, old Adam Page, they should have fucking jerked a knot in his tail when he did the thing with Punk, but that cost the company a lot of money and lost viewership and revenue and time. The snowball, he started rolling down the hill. With Moxley, I th it, the fucking expiration date has come to where he doesn't need rehab, he needs mental evaluation. That's where he should have gone. Somebody needs to fucking check and see what the goddamn deal is going on in this fucking guy's head. He thinks he's Freddy Krueger, even though he looks like fucking Freddy the Freeloader. And he refuses to use the accidental celebrity and fame that he has gotten by virtue of him being pushed by the biggest company in the fucking world for that period of time to where now people know who he is. But because he was pushed by that company, that kept him away from doing shit like this because they apparently early on figured out he's a fucking mental incompetent and wouldn't let him do this shit. Now people think he's a star. And when he does this shit, it gives validation to them to want to do this shit too. And it inspires more of these garbage deathmatch indie outlaw wannabe mud show mutilating freaks to go about their fucking business and Tony Khan allows it. Both these motherfuckers should have been fired not only for having this embarrassment to professional wrestling, but also, again, the people that the fans paid to see were coming up in a main event in a match that was going to go an hour and, as we found out, was also going to have blood. But these two have to have a fake Texas death match in name only because they can't, I guess, figure out how to do it by the proper established rules. And then they've got to throw in every garbage match spot, death match fucking trope, as the kids say. And it looks like some goddamn broke back mountain fucking stand in beating up a goddamn homeless plumber under an overpass and they're stabbing each other in the head with fucking forks. And it's embarrassing. It's This was at the same time one of the phoniest looking matches that AEW has ever presented while being in probably the worst taste. And it's the kind of shit that people who want to fucking protest wrestling or knock wrestling or potentially even a crusade against wrestling, they would get a fucking tape of this. Cause it's not, you can't make the 
the argument like you can with other deathmatch bullshit. Well, look, it's in a barn somewhere. These fat, tattooed, bald fucks with chains hanging out of their noses are carving each other up on purpose, and it looks phony and sloppy and in bad taste, and they're breaking glass up, but it's a barn, and they're nobodies, and there's only 100 people in the crowd. This is supposedly a big major league pro wrestling promotion. And they've got a budget, obviously, and there are people there. And then they still want to present something like this that requires no talent, no professionalism, no psychology, no logic. And all it does is damage the efforts of the people later in the card that have the real talent that the people paid to see, that make you think that, wow, that fucking wrestling may be more difficult than we thought and require a little more talent and a little more savoir faire than we might have given it at first glance. But no, any fucking drunk fucking jack-off can do this shit because look at those two and both of them fit that description and they're fucking slicing each other up on purpose with this phony fucking fight that they're having that why are barbed wire boards at ringside in a texas death match what are barbed wire boards what function does a board with curls of barbed wire wrapped on it perform in real life or is it just something that some goof some I don't, I don't want to say chemical-addled idiot since he's been to rehab. Some mental idiot dreams up because, oh, that'll be gory and painful to roll around in coils of barbed wire in a Texas death match that's not really a Texas death match, but we'll put a hat on a hat. But then they're also, then they're, the, the 10 count, is it last man standing? Once a guy goes down, the referee starts counting to 10. So now we've changed to a last man standing match. Or maybe they just don't know what they're fucking doing. And they haven't thought it through because they're not capable of it. Two minutes into this thing, the supposed baby face, Hangnail Page is raking coils of barbed wire over Moxley's head so Moxley can fucking slice himself up like a goddamn lunatic. And by the way, yes, it used to work in the territories with Abdullah the Butcher and blah, blah, and the Sheik and blah, blah, blah. Because you only saw it every once in a while. You sure didn't see it goddamn 15 times a night. And they made it look like they kind of meant it. And when the Sheik did it over and over in his territory, it took him from the hottest territory in the country to fucking out of business in five or six years. Um, now Moxley got a fork. And he's stabbing Paige in the head. Paige is bleeding like a stuck hog. He pulls, Moxley pulls a half dozen chairs out of the, from under the ring and then finds one wrapped in barbed wire. Why? What, who was, was that the, who got that ticket, right? And the, is that the thing up in the cheap seats? The, the chairs are wrapped in barbed wire. What, what the fuck? This is phony bullshit. It might as well be have a match being had by Moxley's fetish idol, the bank-addicted drug robber that he loves and slobbers all over so much. Or an Ian Rotten garbage show. Except they've got a budget. They're, they're fucking 
goddamn state officials in the state of Kentucky that banned fucking wrestling from venues and places and strengthened the commission regulations over shit like this happening in a fucking roller rink. What do you think? And they're, and they're out in California. They won't ever go back to the state of California. Do they still have an athletic commission out there? Or maybe they just concerned citizens. They go, oh, fuck. Is everybody like they did with the, the garbage deathmatch show here in Indiana not long ago? Is the health department in San Francisco going to have to ask everybody to get tested that was there afterwards because they got all this fucking swine's blood slung on them? So anyway, um, so the cancer in the business known as Plumber Moxley and the empty-headed dipshit who've never done anything in the business continued fighting into... Oh, and Paige wrapped the barbed wire around his chest and finally, it took forever, got up to the top rope and just backflipped blind onto Moxley, who had to be standing there for at least a fucking minute waiting to catch him because that's how long it took him to do it. What a stupid idea. Just idiots. Just fucking <laughs> idiots. With It takes no talent and it makes no sense and it doesn't draw money. It just, it's a car wreck that you're watching car wreck videos. And if I'd have been... MJF or Brian Danielson, I'd have taken the opportunity to slap these two around about the head and face when they got back to the locker room. But anyway, they brought a logging chain out and then Moxley stomped Paige's hand in between two bricks. So I'm wondering if Renee Moxley Good has to watch the torture porn with this guy or does he go in his room alone and do it? You know what? On the pre-show, I didn't even tell you about some of the awful stuff with her. She was having a conversation in front of the crowd, in the arena, on the floor, with Don Callis, and she's having a conversation about how people don't give her husband enough respect because she watches her husband train, and he's a serious wrestler. <laughs> but it was just the most awkward, bizarre conversation because here's the heel manager who sucks as a heel manager talking with the wife of the world champion who happens to be the interviewer and she's talking about being the wife of the champion. It was one of the worst things. You have to see it. You have to see it. The ex-champion, at least. Yes, that's right. Thankfully. Thankfully. So then they did the shop class project where they put the barbed wire board on the chairs and they built some structures. And then they drove Moxley into it so he could land barebacked in the barbed wire and fucking make his faces because he's hardcore or whatever. And then Paige goes to the top, but Moxley jumps up and pushes him off the top. So he flips off the top through a barbed wire board on the chairs on the floor. Of course, on the replay, which they were kind enough to show us twice, you could see that he flipped before Moxley ever even shoved him. But nevertheless, it wouldn't end. Then they got the chain and had a chain match. And then Paige hit Moxley in the head full force, allegedly with a brick, and Moxley was down for seven seconds. But he stood up after being hit in the head with a brick and flips off Paige with the double finger so that Paige, and stands there and lets Paige leap over the top rope and buckshot Larry at him as he's looking at him. He just stands there and lets him do it. And then Paige wraps the chain around Moxley's neck and throws him over the top rope, and he's hanging him. And Moxley tapped out like this, a goddamn 
fucking UFC contest. I'm tapping out because I'm I'm lynched with a logging chain. Which is, again, you can't do that in a Texas death match anyway. If you give up, it's still not over. But we don't know. It's, it's last man standing. You can't tap out. I don't know what the fuck this match was. This was one of the worst exhibitions of whatever the fuck this is that AEW has ever presented, in my opinion. And as a matter of fact, tell me what you think, and I'll give you somebody else's opinion. I think John Moxley is one of the worst professional wrestlers I've ever seen, and I also think, just in terms of his matches, we've seen enough of them now. Regular matches, which descend into whatever. Gimmick matches. He's uncreative in putting together his matches. It's just dumb ideas. Hey, let's do it. Hey, let's just do this. Yeah, and then they do it. Yeah. And yeah, it's fucking, like he's, like he's talking about that fucking Gage clown. Yeah, he's fucking... Nick fucking Gage. Yeah, you're fucking mental fucking deficient. You're cosplay fucking Nick Gage. Idiot. That's what the problem is. We've seen him yeah. as Dean Ambrose. This is cosplay Nick Gage. Is this the first time that anybody ever aspired to cosplay the worst wrestler in the world? Couple questions. One, I already know the answer to. If you see Moxley bleed every single week, does it mean anything when he bleeds again? No. If I'm assuming Tony Khan... I shouldn't assume that. A good promoter or booker knows what's happening with their talent and on their card. It's their card. If you know what's going to happen in the main event or things that are going to happen, do you tell these guys, chill out with the blood? I mean, well, that's the other thing you brought up before MJF and Danielson. That was a long, brutal match where there was significant blood. Yeah. Did it mean less because of this? Yes. Everything meant everything in the main event that was still phenomenal would have meant so much more if girls, midgets, and drunken bums hadn't done it in front of the same crowd moments before. That's the problem. And yeah, and some people are going, well, Dusty, Dusty loved the blade too, and there was too much blood at Starcade 86. There certainly was. And I will admit that also. But the the again, the Eddie Grahams, the Bill Wattses, the the fucking people that really had their shit together and had control of their territories, would goddamn in a, the case of a major world title match would not have allowed all this shit to go on. When not only did and that's another thing we'll talk about. Well, I'll save it for the review of the main event. But they would have benefited by different booking not only with this undercard but the way they got to this match to begin with and we'll talk about that but yeah you have to it's even if they're going to do it better people have still seen it and they've seen so much and right now just the next match the next match Samoa Joe against Wardlow Samoa Joe great talent when used properly Wardlow green but got over and then they left him to flounder but they go from Literally a goddamn, you know, the the siege of the Alamo with gunfire and, and fucking fires and bombs and arrows and blood and two guys hand to hand on this show. And it's and here's one thing real quick. Corey Strode, PWinsider.com, was uh, trying to review this show as it happened. And his last line 
A disgusting spot fest that went on too long. I'll bet the vampires loved it. And old Corey is willing to go along with a lot of the modern wrestling. But, you know, fuck, it's just ridiculous. This fucking guy. This fucking guy. That John Moxley thinks that somehow he is the one to go through all of this and do this shit. He's an embarrassment. And if I was Tony Khan, well, I was going to say if I was Tony Khan, I would have fired him. But if I was Tony Khan, I'd fire myself because Tony Khan's the one to let him do this shit. What'd you think of Adam Page coming out to Ghost Riders in the Sky? A shameful misuse of the outlaws. <laughs> a shameful misuse of the outlaws and a classic guitar rock song. Is that his new persona? When he comes out to that, he wears all black and he's tougher? Oh, I don't get He couldn't be any less tough. I don't give a fuck what his new persona is. But, it, but anyway, among the worst AEW moments ever, let's move on, I guess. Uh, where are we going? There's more of this, isn't there? There's more of this. There's another match, Wardlow versus Samoa Joe, as you mentioned before, but perhaps after a match like that, you just want to close your eyes and shut it off. Well, I'll tell you what, I wish this show had been shut down about now, but nevertheless, my brain was almost ready to shut down. Thank goodness, as I mentioned earlier, I had had a good night's sleep. Because I'll tell you, if I'd been like the the folks watching this live, if I'd have been up all day, oh my gosh, I would have been a raw nerve in. But thankfully, I got a good night's sleep and with fresh eyes was able to view this program. And the reason why I got the good night's sleep was because the previous night, I did what every smart sleeper is going to do. I laid my weary bones down on the Helix Sleep Mattress. And Brian, you know, you've got helixes for yourself and Suzanne. You got helixes for the kids. You got helixes for Swami. I even have the all-form couch in the library. You got the all-form couch in the library. I've got the wonder-form couch. No, I've got got a wonderful form of a couch. It was a form of a couch. That's what they sent me. No, we've got all the Helix products because they're all comfortable. They're all wonderful. And right now... Not only are they comfortable and wonderful, but folks, they're also going to give you a bigger discount than ever before. Now, Brian, a lot of times we've talked about up to $200 off or a couple of free pillows, but now, now we're able to offer 20%, 20% off of whatever you get moving forward. 20% off of, I mean, you can outfit the whole family. Like I said, the wives, the husbands, the kids, the dogs, the cats even, they got the premium mattresses that are tailored based on your unique sleep preferences, the luxury models, the big and tall sleeper mattress, the kids mattress. And again, it comes complete with the plastic bag that they can play with as a toy. It's amazing. The kids will have tons of fun. Literally hours of enjoyment. Literally, that wasn't true in any way. And of course, kids don't play with plastic bags as toys. They haven't for a very long time. I did. When I was a kid, I had all kinds of fun. They told me one time, they said, if if it had been a few minutes longer, I might have stayed purple. This explains so much. This explains so much. 
But anyway, folks, how do you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and that's how you find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And then that personalized mattress, whichever model you like, whether you sleep on your side or your back or you're hot or you're cold or whatever, they're going to ship it straight to your door free of charge. There's no shipping charge. And boy, I tell you what, when those guys show up at your front door with that Helix Sleep mattress in that box, which by the way, it's not a full-size mattress. The unboxing process is wonderful. You just slice it open and it breathes to life right where you, you put it where you want it. It just expands. It's amazing. But those guys that bring that mattress to your front door, they're going to be pissed because free shipping, they don't get paid. So you're going to have two highly pissed off what? That's, that's moving not how that people. Works. That's not how that works. They're not, get, they're not getting paid. They're not going to be happy bringing you this nope. wonderful mattress that they wish they could have, no, but they can't afford it because nobody will pay them to deliver the things because it's free shipping. So they're going to figure, no. well, this fucking guy at this house has really screwed me out of my goddamn oh, day's God. wages. Come on. And they might, they might be a, a problem. You might have to give them something to go away. The shippers, the couriers, whoever it may be, will be paid. The issue is, not even the issue, the wonderful thing about our wonderful friends at Helix Sleep they will eat the cost. They will not give, they will not make you pay the extra and they will not deduct the money from the working man. They will take care of the working man with a working man's mattress that's also good for a millionaire. It's good for everyone. Check out the mattress. Don't worry about the plastic bags and anything else. Boy, you got a little touchy there on that one. Folks, they also, these things are American made. And they come in, in Dubuque, Iowa, and they come with either a 10 or 15 year warranty, depending on the model. If you don't want to take my word for it, they're the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. And everybody knows that, well, you know, if you've been sleeping on a mattress stuffed full of GQ and Wired Magazines, you'll know that they're the softest magazines you can sleep on. Nevertheless, how did we start talking about that? I don't even if know what you're, you're talking about anymore. Well, you know, sometimes back in the old days, my Aunt Lola used to sleep on a mattress that was stuffed with Sears catalogs. Right now, folks, Helix supports military, first responders, teachers, and students by giving them a special discount. And, and on top of that, you're going to get the 20% off. Holy mackerel, they may pay you to take one of these things. They won't and do Helix, that. No, no, they won't do that. Holy mackerel, let's make sure we specify that won't be happening. Well, you know, you could be lucky. You never to try it and see what happens. Worst thing they can say is no. And Helix owns its own manufacturing facility. So each and every one of these Helix mattresses is made by a team of skilled manufacturers. So get your order in quick because they're busy. These three fucking guys are making all these mattresses. It's going to take them a while. They have a big team and, and a skilled team. It's not just three people. Well, it's just three that are doing the most of the work. A lot of the other was just kind of standing around slack-jawing and, and gawking. Anyway, they got over 12,000 five-star reviews, does Helix. And right now, again, I mentioned the 20% and two free pillows. You can still get that deal going on. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. Up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our devoted listeners. This is the best offer yet. It won't last long. This might bankrupt them. So hurry 
they could be kicked out of their facility anytime now because they're they're no. basically making no money by giving all this stuff away. They own their facility and they make money by selling the American people fine, fine mattresses that are worth it. Yes, but at these prices and with this kind of a deal, I don't see how they're making any money. I think you ought to hurry because these people, they're probably not, they're, they're, they're very good mattress makers, but they're not business-minded. They don't need to make that. more don't, profit. Don't say that. Our well, sponsors no, they, run they a be, great business. They should be charging twice as much for these mattresses. You've felt how they feel. Why, as soon as you lay down, you go into a coma. You're in dreamland. You're in somnambuland. That's right. With, That's right. You, you're mesmerized. With you helix that, sleep. Do you know where the term mesmerized comes from? I don't know. I'm trying so hard to get us it's, out of this, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you what. The term mesmerized comes from the famed hypnotist Anton Mesmer. And I tell you what, he slept on one of these too. So what does that tell he you? He didn't sleep on one of those. You can't make a declaration like that that you know isn't true. How do I know it's not true? Because Helix Sleep wasn't around when he was alive. How do you know that? When was he alive? Years ago. When? When did Mesmer, the man behind Mesmerize? Probably in the 1800s. I don't think he Yeah, you think I'm making that up, don't you? You Google Anton Mesmer. I actually have a giant book over here of Passion's uh, magic stuff, all the different posters and everything, so I'm sure I have a lot of Mesmer stuff. Yeah, well, you'll be mesmerized by it. By what? HelixSleep.com slash JCE. That's the place to go. That's the code to use, and that's the money to save. You'll be mesmerized. That's right, Helix Sleep, but let's not go to sleep. Let's pick things up right now and get back to no, revolution. You, you, you also, you go to sleep when you're mesmerized. Well, were you mesmerized by the next I match was, on AEW? I was mesmerized, but I was pasteurized by the next match. You know, that's one time my Aunt Lola had a real bad skin rash, and the doctor told her, said, well, the best thing you can do is take a milk bath. And she did, and she came back the next week, and she said, doctor, it didn't help at all. And he said, well, did you use pasteurized and she said no it's just up over my ass aunt lola ladies and gentlemen anyway so the next match was for the tnt title samoa joe against wardlow and here's what again they felt the need i guess because within the first 10 seconds they go to the floor and then joe does a dive even these two the 300 pounders they got immediately to the floor do a dive but as I said, what can they do? There's two guys barehanded following the fucking, you know, Battle of Little Bighorn. Wardlow's green. The fans are worn out. What have they not seen? And they did some big moves. To Wardlow hit a great flipping cannonball off the top rope and didn't even ever go for a cover. You know, that popped to people because a guy that size doing that move. But there wasn't much they could do here. Wardlow hit a spine buster and an F5. They call it an F10. So a good way to remind people of the biggest star in the business that's not on your show. Uh, Sinton, two count. Joe gets a sleeper. Wardlow gets the ropes. People don't care. Joe goes for the superplex. Wardlow hits a powerbomb. Joe hits clothesline. Goes for a powerbomb. Wardlow drops behind him and gets a sleeper and puts Joe to sleep. Not even a tap out, the three arm drops. He put Joe and the fans to sleep at the same time. 
I don't know what else to say about this. I love Samoa Joe, but he needs to be, as we mentioned, against maybe a smaller guy where he can be the big bully. This, the two big bulls, and one of the bulls is greener than a pepper tree. It just did. I I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry I was disappointed. What do you think? Regardless of who was in this match or the previous match, any issue, well, forget about any issue. What's the issue with doing two choke-out finishes back-to-back? Well, besides the fact this one was kind of boring, and again, (laughs) yes, I know in real fights you can always be choked out. Yes. And the UFC learned shortly into their run, I think it was on their first Fox Network special, the reason why wrestling's a work. Because their first big main event ended in a minute. The reason why wrestling is a work is because you can build things up to a crescendo and work towards something and get the big blow out of a spectacular finish. This is kind of, okay, I'm sorry, one, two, three, Samoa Joe, for fuck's sake. Beaten by his own game. And Wardlow, who has never been presented as a Sleeper expert or a UFC fucking aficionado, I don't know. And now he's wearing a glittering swimsuit, too. I just, I don't understand it with the haircut. And I saw the scrum, and he spoke there for a bit. The way he speaks, he's like, imagine if Braun Breaker was the sweetest, nicest gentleman you have ever met in your life. Yeah, that's another problem. Because with the haircut, he kind of resembles him a little more than he used to. And when you watch him speak, he just seems like, he seems like a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a really great guy. But does he seem like a monster wrestling no. killer? That's the issue. He seems like Frankenstein with good table manners. Uh, so that's, that's what that was. I mean, they bumbled Wardlow. Joe got off to a rocky start, but they gave him a, a push. But again, Samoa Joe and Darby Allen, boy, you feel for that fucking Darby Allen. These two, eh. But it's better than what they did next. Let's get to that so we can get to the wrestling. The death spot on this show, at least they gave to the joke match, uh, the four-way for the tag team title, the Guns versus the Acclaimed versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal versus Pockets and Danhausen. And complete with Sanjay dressed up like Sabu the Elephant Boy, he's gone full goof comedy. And I'm, I didn't play along with the joke. And if they don't care, we shouldn't care either. So there was no reason to watch this match because the mascot and his mascot were in it. The guns won, retained the belts, start doing an in-ring promo, say we're the best tag team in the world, and FTR's music hits. And it would be wonderful if they were making a surprise return after a thrilling tag team contest where the champions really did show that they were the best team and it was a serious fucking event, but I'll take FTR back. So they hit the ring and beat the fucking green team that has won the joke match. They beat them up, spike pile drive one, shatter machine on the other. Somehow one of the guns managed to bust Dax's eye open, so he's bleeding. So now the run-in bleeds. And FTR pick up the belts and get a big ovation from the crowd. And they needed this desperately because we just talked about the tag team division being a complete 
shit show at this point when Pockets and Danhausen are being pressed into service as a tag team in a title match, and they haven't figured out that they ought to be using Bennett and Taven or Jarrett and Lethal just as to give credibility to the division since all the other teams are either green or jokes. I'll take Jericho and Sammy Guevara when they were teaming up even in this division. That, that, that would do something. Get rid of the rest of the fucking Drek and the Jericho appreciators and concentrate on the two guys that won the name and the other guy might be able to do something. But but anyway, so this was sorely needed. But, you know, then the problem becomes if they go try to use FTR to get the gun boys over when they're... There could be some fish to fry here if they if they get FTR back, put the belts on them where they should be, and get something going where the tag team division is serious again. We'll see. I mean, I've been as big an FTR fan as anyone, and I've been, like any FTR fan, disappointed time after time after time, <laughs> despite moments of greatness. It's nice to see them back. Music hits, they get their pop. Let's see how they're used. Or abused. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. By the way, I didn't watch that match that much. I mean, Sanjay was ridiculous, and then the Giant was dressed like a giant version of Sanjay, as opposed to a Sanjay being a mini version of the Giant. It was ridiculous. But I knew that the next match was going to go at least an hour, so that was my chance to go smoke a joint and get ready for the main event. There, well, whatever you had to do to get ready for this when it was worth it. As a matter of fact, if anybody hasn't watched this show yet, if you just want to, as soon as Christian and Jungle Boy get finished, if you want to get ready for the main event, take about two and a half hours. At first, I thought Jim Hurd was running AEW when I saw the string quartet and the orchestra and everything with the mask to come out and play MJF's music. I know they were trying for a big moment there. I don't know about that one, but MJF comes out. He looks great. He's got great looking gear now. Remember, I, I mentioned early on the the designer scarf alone probably didn't, you know, present the whole image. But now he's got great looking gear. He's got the devil mask. He came out. He's in incredible shape. And again, you know, we said this was going to be a challenge. The one thing they did do was was not put these guys on at midnight, whether local time or even Eastern time. They kept, they had some restraint there if they didn't have any restraint in terms of what people did in the matches beforehand. But this was what we were hoping it was going to be. They wrestled. Danielson's so smooth with the wrestling, the holes in the count, out wrestling the heel and showing that that's his strength. And MJF knows exactly how to heal and to get heat from the crowd for even rolling out or backing up or powdering. But the what they did took athleticism and took talent as far as psychology and timing and working that was not on display. And most of the rest of this event and mjf bailing to the floor and throwing the water on the kid oh my god and what booze it got well you know this became a big deal I, I, well i heard that from from the scrum afterwards i heard that it became a deal and it was fucking classic it was fucking great 
And he said to the camera, is, is this going to cost me a star, Dave, when he was stalling? And he got heat by slowing it down like the heel would because Danielson is too good of a technical wrestler. But then that they told the stories that Danielson has the bad shoulder, so naturally MJF is going to start working on that. But at the same time, MJF was able to do that wild fucking flipping cannonball thing and land on his feet, but supposedly sell his knee. So is his knee bad or not? We don't know. And I was amazed also because everybody, like MJF said, I think at the scrum, he said, everybody thinks I don't do all this shit. Well, I do it. I just do it when it's necessary. Because he did, he did that hammerlock DDT that looks fucking wicked out on a guy that's had concussion syndrome. But here's where I realized they're not even halfway through this match. Can you imagine, as good as, as already they had some chemistry with each other, if they had actually been in a normal company and been in, in the employee of a normal booker, and the first match that they had with each other, with, with just a regular world title match, Maybe it didn't have any time constraints, and maybe MJF would fuck Danielson in a one-fall match in like 30 minutes, and then Danielson would challenge to this. Or maybe they would even go for a, you know, a, a fucking uh, goddamn hour the first time, and then say, well, how about most falls in an hour? But something where we didn't just come into the the middle of the movie. With the first time the two guys are ever in the ring, they're going in an Iron Man match most falls in an hour. And I love the match, and we'll talk more about that later, but because of what it was, I don't want to see another match, even though I do want to see them wrestle more, if that makes any sense. Like you said, I wish there was a series of matches or something leading yeah. into this, because I'd like to see more of them in the ring together. They're great together. With no time constraints in a regular match, they could have had a classic first match because they could do whatever they wanted. And then they could have had an even hotter marathon match for the rematch in number two because they would have set it up. But nevertheless. See, the problem is like in 10 years or whatever, some kid discovers AEW and they want to go back and discover more about AEW history. And they look at the card for the show and they see MJF, the champion versus Danielson one-hour Iron Man match, he'll say, okay, why was it that match? And there's no answer. <laughs> like, it'll just be, well, it's just because. Just because. Because Tony wrote it down. So they did the, the World of Sports-style rolling pin attempts and the roll-throughs and a double bridge in the middle got a great reaction because they had a great pace going. And then... They did the big clotheslines and a long sell, and then Danielson hit his knee, boom, and one, two, three, and got the first fall, 25 minutes in. And then Danielson sets up where he's going to hit him with a second knee, and MJF collapses. Was it on purpose, or was it he was just fatigued? We don't know until he nutshots Brian Danielson and gets disqualified. And that means now Danielson has two falls, but he's been nutshotted. And there's no rest period in a, in a marathon match, like there is in a Texas death match, if they had actually done a Texas death match. So MJF gets two quick covers and two pins on Danielson while he's selling the, the nut shot. So now they're even two and two. And it was a, 
again, a smart spot. I have not seen that done in a, a previous Ironman or marathon match. So that was very heelish. And then MJF rolls out and he, he keeps going for the water break. And I thought something was going to, going to come from that. Like, even you know, the water bottle was going to figure in, but anyway, um, they, at, at one point they were awfully long on the floor. I must call it out, but to be fair, Danielson was at least breaking the count and they kept things moving. And then Danielson's back in charge, and he wraps MJF's bad leg around the post, and they had a long back and forth on the apron, but at least they were laying it in. And then they a table spot. And, you know, I guess it, Danielson is the guy that can do the modern stuff, the the fighting on the apron or the, you know, the breaking the furniture or whatever, but he knows how to do it and how to bring it up and how to time it to where it's not preposterous. They, they show the effects. They, they sell long enough. They're not just popping back up and running and doing more flips. So it does have some type of dramatic effect when it's done right still, even yet. And so, and plus what a fucking elbow drop off the top rope through the table on the floor. So, and then MJF took him back out and did a tombstone on the broken table on Danielson, but hurt his knee and he couldn't try to cover. So there was no like kicking out of this shit. And Danielson by that point is bleeding from the head and MJF is squeezing it, which is another reason why Paige and Moxley should have never happened along with just common sense and respect for the business. And then MJF hit his heat seeker at one, two, three, and that was three and two. And then he gets on Danielson viciously, and they're past 40, and they're doing a great job. And then at that point, they actually work the people. How long has it been since you've seen somebody in, in AEW actually stop and take time to work the fucking fans that are there? And MJF's trash-talking Danielson, and he's ripping his face, and he's toying with him, and he snots on him. And then Danielson turns things around and reverses it and posts MJF and gives the big knee off the apron and off the top to the floor with a double sledge and hits the diving headbutt, and I believe that was where MJF got busted open, and he starts bleeding like a stuck hog, because Danielson was just, I think, dinged a bit, but... MJF is bleeding like crazy. And now at this point, I wrote Moxley versus page is a crime against their business. And Danielson hits the knee and gets the label lock and MJF taps. And that's three and three. And he's trying to make him tap again. And MJF came out and got the arm bar and they worked that a long time. And finally, Danielson got a foot on the ropes to get out of the hole. He got a big pop because they milked it and they worked it. And they did the yay-boo punch exchange on their knees, and they stood up and they had a drunk leg exchange, and the fans were standing and applauding. And big trades again, another heat seeker, two count. And they hit the they or they had the fight on the top turnbuckle, and MJF at Jesus Christ. Again, this was stretching it. But MJF hits a perfect tombstone pile driver off the second buckle. 
and immediately sells his fucking knee like he's broken his leg, and both of them sold like they were dead. There was no cover to kick out immediately or to... Even though, yes, Danielson's neck should have been broken. We're taking this ride, and they're doing it well. And finally, MJF crawled over and covered and got a two-count. And then Danielson turned it into a single crab, and he starts cranking it. And there's a minute left, and MJF's getting toward the ropes, and Danielson pulls him to the middle. And there's 30 seconds, and MJF is milking the tap and holds on, and the bell rings, and it's a time limit draw. Three falls to three. And at that point, the doctors come in and start checking on both of them, and they give <laughs> they give MJF the oxygen. And I thought that I said, God damn it. The oxygen tank would have been perfect. And you remember that from Los Angeles, right? What in the early 70s? Who was it? The point is that in Los Angeles in the early 70s, there was a deal where they had the the Texas Death or the Gladiator match or whatever it was that had gone so long and the heel finally reached under the ring and took a, brought out an oxygen tank and took a big hit of oxygen and then ended up fucking the baby face. And I used that in Knoxville, in Smoky Mountain. Um, the Heavenly Bodies and the Rock and Roll Express, the only time I ever booked a marathon match, most falls in an hour. And it was in Knoxville and they went 59 minutes or whatever the fuck it was and everybody was down and Hildebrand was distracted and I reached and gave Tom Pritchard the oxygen tank and he fucking took the big hit of oxygen and I think then he loaded his boot and kicked Riggy Morton and we won in the last 10 seconds. You know what I thought they were going to do here? The match, I thought somehow the match would get restarted. Right. And then I thought they would say MJF says that he has to go to the bathroom. He's been drinking all this water all match. We've all seen it right in front of the camera. He's willing to continue to match. He just needs a few minutes to go to the bathroom. And then whatever he does in the back, he loads up for whatever he's going to do in the ring. Well, fortunately, they didn't do that because it would have probably lagged by the time he went back there. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> uh, uh, Tony Schiavone gets a call at the desk and he goes down to the ring and you can kind of hear him telling the announcer what's going on. And Smiley Roberts says, Tony Khan says this match will not end in a draw. It will be restarted. Sudden death. One fall to a finish. That's the way to use Tony Schiavone. Yes. Although it shouldn't be to just get Tony Khan over as the babyface. It should be as the official for AEW, making sure there's some sort of rules. That's yeah. exactly how to use Tony Schiavone. Because he's a big stooge anyway. So he goes down and stooges everything off, makes it right. Bingo. But anyway, they trade the, the roll-ups and the two counts, and MJF gets the title belt, and the referee says, go ahead, I'll disqualify you if you use the title belt. So... <laughs> While the referee's putting the belt out, MGF pulls out the ring, but swings and misses. And Danielson gets a, some kind of hurricane rana and a knee and a two count and the crab. And while MGF is in the crab, the referee takes the ring off. And MGF just makes the ropes and then taps. And Danielson heard the tap and thinks he tapped. And while the referee's explaining that, they did use the oxygen tank after all, just not in the same way. MJF rolls to the floor and gets the tank. And when Danielson leans out, MJF hits him over the top of his head, boom, with the tank. 
and he falls in the ring and gets the, the MJF rolls in, gets the LaBelle lock on Danielson, and Danielson's already out, but he fires up at the third arm drop, and the people come up, and then he taps. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. The only thing I would have changed this whole thing is the heel just fucked the baby face. He's been hit over the head with a metal oxygen tank. The third arm drop. Yes, we established it earlier on in the night. Maybe they did that for that reason, but goddamn, he fires up and then taps out. I, uh, all righty then. But otherwise than that, what a fucking job. And uh, again, it's not that MJF, you know, doesn't do all the flips or the moves. It's just that he only does them when you should. And so somehow from that, these, the, the trampoline fans have, Oh yeah, he doesn't do anything. No, he just does what he should do. Not what he shouldn't do. That's the fucking difference. They're not used to it. What a fucking match. One of the best matches in AEW history. I think it's the best Iron Man match. You know, this may upset some people and I know it is now a, mythological match in a way but i didn't really like brett and sean the iron man match it bored me at times it was not it was not their best this never bored me the story the injuries everything happening it kept moving and before i knew it 40 minutes had gone the spot where mjf gets disqualified for the nut shot and then gets the two quick pins on danielson was fantastic because of the crowd reaction. Yeah. The crowd reacted like, oh shit, like no one expected that. Two quick falls like that. That was great. Both guys here. This is the best Danielson performance. I hate to use that word. Sorry, Jim, but best Danielson match. Well, no, but you can, in, in an athletic contents, content, in an athletic context, you can say, you know, an NBA all-star, what a performance in the game with 36 points or whatever. It, that doesn't bother me. This is Danielson's best performance in AEW, I think. And he's had good matches. I like the one with Kenny. I like the, or the ones with Kenny, I think it was. And then him and Paige. But this was the best thing. MJF, we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. This reminded me, you know, there's always a clip I think of, and I don't even know the exact match, and I'm sure you do. But it's Dundee as a babyface, Lawler as a heel. Mid-South Coliseum, shot from the floor, and Lawler's just slugging Dundee. That was the 1977 match. You could see the exhaustion. You could see it. And with this match, you felt like you just felt like these two guys, it didn't just feel like two guys going through the motions for an hour and doing the moves for the hour. Even when they did the spots that, you know, whatever you want to say, Billy Robinson and Tony Charles or Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, the rolling pin combinations, it worked. These two guys were great together. It just felt like a big deal match, and it was. The heel cheated to win, as they should. This was an incredible match, and then I said we'll talk about MJF. This guy gets no credit. He said it during a press scrum, and people think, you know, you never know what's gimmick and what isn't, but it's true. This guy gets no credit. He stole the show pay-per-views ago him and Darby in the opening match and the Young Bucks street fight was the one that got the five-star rating all of a sudden <laughs> but there's been pay-per-view after pay-per-view where it's not just the promos we don't get to see enough of him well I shouldn't say that we see enough of him to appreciate him when we see him 
but because we don't see him all the time, it's easy to forget every match this guy has in AEW has been a fantastic match. Yeah. And in the combi- in the combination, in the conversation for who's the best wrestler in the world, we just talked about it for 2022. If MJF has a series of matches like the ones he's already had as the AEW champion for this year, and Roman Reigns works that kind of schedule anyway for WWE, then more people need to pay attention to just how good this guy is in the ring. Because he's a special wrestler. He does the moves, but he does the stuff that you don't even have to describe it. The little things, the little things that Piper he does. Did. He does the shit that he should be 20 years older to know how to do. Because nobody his age has been able to get it, pick up on it, whatever, and he does. And that's what makes him different. This was a one-hour Ironman match in front of a crowd that could have gone either way. It was a long night. They've already seen a lot of brutality. They got to see the entire Buck show, and that match went forever. The Moxley stuff, that wasn't just gory and gross. That went forever. This was all the way at the end of the night. They had the crowd in the palm of their hand. This was a masterclass. Again, I know there were some things you would change. I'm not saying there aren't some things I would change. It was a long match. But these guys put on a hell of a... This was a hell of a match. Yeah. And again, um, I just... Where do you, where do you go to... Uh, so now, the very first match that they have has seen the heel beat Danielson at his special match that he asked for. So then where do you go now? It's, it's supposed to be the, the, the guys have a, a regular match and the heel cheats. And then the baby face asked for his specialty. And then it would be harder for the fucking heel to cheat and win. And maybe he does it just by the nick of his, the, the skin of his teeth or in the nick of time or whatever, but it takes everything he can do. And then, but where do you go when this was the first match? I don't even understand what. I don't think you go anywhere. That's the thing. Remember in the early days of AEW, we talked about it. There were never follow-up matches. There were never rematches. It was always one-offs that were big that people got into. And then everyone just kind of went their separate ways. Okay. If you have 18 top main event singles stars, you might could do that, but he's got three, maybe. Well, we'll talk a little bit about MJF at the press scrum because he mentioned some potential opponents, but I do have to ask you one thing. Several times during this match, it was audible. You could pick it up even though you had three people talking during this match. He would yell out that he's the best in the world. Obviously, that's something that Brian Danielson called himself years and years ago in Ring of Honor. Yeah. It's also something that CM Punk called himself just recently in AEW. Yeah. Anything we should read into that? Well, a lot of people like to call themselves the best in the world, and it's it's gotten to be somewhat of a cliche, but it does seem that if they need main event-level single stars badly and the current world champion is crowing at the top of his lungs that he's the best in the world, well, if they were smart enough to contact CM Punk and ask him to come back to work politely and nicely, well, you just know he'd have to say something about that, don't you? And as I recall, 
CM Punk and MJF have already met once, already had a little program that got a lot of attention, and they had a great match. And I wouldn't call the issue settled between them because of things that have gone on since then and what position MJF is in now, so they could pick that thing right up and run right along with it, couldn't they? You know what I like about that, too? As opposed to most of what we see with MJF's feuds, we just saw it with Danielson. With Punk, I don't think MJF needs to run away. This could be the fight that MJF wants. Did I? I agree with you as oh. I'm swallowing my Sprite. <laughs> you just put a period on that very quickly. <laughs> so I had a mouthful there. You said a mouthful, Brian. Indeed. Speaking of mouthfuls, the media scrum also was, uh, and Jesus Christ, what a fucking knot MJF had on his head. It was the size of a, at least a golf ball. I'm not sure where he got that one from, but. Um, if you, hey, hey, quick question. If you're the booker of that match, I mean, you had the match laid out. Forget it. I was going to say, if you're in the back and you see that on a monitor, do you call any kind of audible? When you have a visible thing there, if there was any kind of, I'm not saying ref stoppage or anything, but if you need to stall for time, there's a clear visible out for the audience. Well, no, his brain wasn't falling out of his fucking head. He just had a knot. A he hematoma, yeah. Yeah, a knot. Old knothead. Um, you wouldn't, I don't know, unless he was staggering recklessly and attempting to fall uh, nobody would call an audible over a knot on your head no you continue on if he's if he's got his hands in front of him and screaming i can't see then maybe you you start calling audibles but just for a knot on the head no he was fine he was all right and as a matter of fact he had to be all right because then after wrestling for 65 minutes or whatever the fuck it was and bleeding and blah, blah, blah. He comes to the scrum. He's got a fucking crutch. He's his head's still bleeding. He's got the fucking lump on it. And he does another, what, 15 or 20 minutes. It just steals the show. He was chewing the fucking scenery like Betty Davis and fucking Jezebel. I mean, it was, he's incredible. How would you even have the energy and the wit and the patience to go out there and just verbally eviscerate every he did, he did the muffin thing that punk did except he did it with dill pickles he insulted everybody yeah, in the room by telling the truth about him should have been half sour pickles if he had any taste no kosher dills are the way to go baby half sour you're sitting down to eat a pickle on its own without putting it with a sandwich or something you want to have sour no you want that good delicious crispy crunch of a vlasic dill i agree you want the crunch you want the crunch without that awful taste so you want a half sour uh, you know wendy's changed their pickles a while several years ago to bread and butter pickles and i had to stop oh. ordering pickles on my fucking wendy's i didn't know that they i don't know if they've changed back i haven't ordered pickles since then i'm too scared to you ever accidentally buy those in the grocery store and you bring them home and you put them on your burger and you oh just once just once <laughs> i picked up the wrong jar i was like i thought it was fucking goat meat that i was eating instead of burger meat but anyway he did a, again a, a tour de force performance at the scrum he insulted all the fake journalists he was quick he fucking bing 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 he was in gimmick perfectly and at the same time he was kind of saying shit that was a shoot 
and with the attitude that he's, it's amazing. It's just so refreshing to see somebody that actually knows how to fucking get over and project their personality in this day and age of these quiet fucking, you know, sensitive wrestlers. Well, that was AEW. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was AEW Revolution and MJF at the media scrum, and it's worth going out of your way to see because it's he's on his crutch. Don't watch the whole thing now. It's it goes like it's two hours on YouTube. I clicked in oh at thirty three minutes to get MJF, and then clicked out as soon as he departed. But Tony will sit out there for two hours, and those fucking yeah, because he's got softball questions coming at him. Well, I was about to say every, the 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 site people will sit there and talk to him over it. it would, when nothing is, it's obvious after the first twenty or thirty minutes, or when MJF leaves, it's obvious nothing is going to be learned. And nothing is really going to happen from there on, except Tony's going to go on forever and a day about how great everybody is. But they will sit there till three o'clock in the morning, listening to him. And every every question is prefaced by, "Oh, it was the most wonderful show I've ever seen, Tony." And now, what are your thoughts on the Strategic Air Command? Every question has to begin with a compliment. There was a question to Ricky Starks about fashion. I mean, it was just the most ridiculous thing. No one asked anything about CM Punk. Not one question about, hey, best of the world was said several times on this show, or, hey, there's lots of rumors going around about CM Punk. Not one question. And you want to know why? Because the people in that room were people that Tony knew would play his game. That's why. No hard-hitting questions. They wouldn't sit there till 3 o'clock in the morning if they weren't ready to play his game. They're, they're more than happy to play his game, because that way they get more access for their sites the more good things they say bingo and i'm and i'm not even i'm not even saying everybody's got to be goddamn woodward and bernstein for fuck's sake but when when every wrestler's question begins with hey you had a great match tonight it was my favorite of the night you shouldn't be (laughs) saying that why do you have to butter up the wrestler before you ask a softball just to make sure they don't get their feelings hurt but, you know, and again, like MJF said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a mark like everybody else that works for this company. And I'm, and you know, this is a business to me. And then he said, thank you. Fuck you. Bye. And I will not call Stephen P new because it was my sentiment. Exactly. And I'm glad that he spoke it for me. He should do it on TV. If Moxley could yell fuck you and give everyone the finger every week on TV, MJF needs to get it on TBS. Yeah, why not? Would be great if that's how they canceled the show. The last thing was a wrestler saying thank you, fuck you, bye. (laughs) (laughs) And the network responds with no, thank you, fuck you, bye. Either that or they could compare wrestlers to apple pies and we could see what happens. Well, speaking of which, let's uh, see what happens when we go back to the future and we go to the show that has not been recorded yet and we leave you now to hear you again in the future. (laughs) We are back and there it is and there it was and here we are. That was AEW Revolution and, you know, Jim... There was a lot of revolution. You know, I've been going round and round and round. My head is still spinning round and round like a record, baby. Right round, round, round. I hate that song. You like that song? Well, it was catchy. 
it was catchy. That was part of the problem. It was an awful <laughs> song that was catchy. Do you like that song? It was a yes, yes. It was an earworm. You couldn't get it out of your head. You like Wang you Chung? Spin me right around, baby. What everybody Wang Chung tonight? That's right. Yeah. You approve of that one? He, as well? he was a, he was a good heel, Wang Chung. Wang Chung. All right, enough and of you. And his brother P.Y. Chung. What I was going Carolina. to say before P.Y. Chung, of course, Tojo Yamamoto, which is why Phil Hickerson became P.Y. Chuhai, <laughs> one of the more ridiculous gimmicks of all time. But Jim, on this show, we saw a lot of blood. Yep, yep. And when MJF, who bled a gusher, mm-hmm. when he was bleeding, he looked like a healthy young athlete who's bleeding. John Moxley, when he was bleeding, he looked like the end may be near. Very unhealthy looking. I wonder how much of that is due to their gut health. Well, I think a lot of it. A lot of, you know, your gut health, it's it's all important. It controls everything. And I think that, you know, maybe Moxley just needs to go to seed like the rest of us have. Because I've been talking to, you know, since my colon adventure... Uh, a few weeks ago, I've been trying to, I, I need more Farber in my diet, or is it Faber? Fiber. Oh, fi- yeah, I need more of that, and I've, I've had misadventures in trying to do that, but now I've made a habit out of the Seed DS-01 Daily Symbiotic, because that, that's all you need with the gut health to, for, the, for the Farber and the Fiber and all of your regular poop-tastic things. The Seed DS-01 Daily Symbiotic is a habit you need. Now, for example, there's bad habits and there's good habits. Now, you don't want to keep, I don't know, Bolivian black tar heroin next to your bedside table and make a habit out of that, but you might want to keep the Seed DS-01 Daily Symbiotic (laughs) right by your bedside table with a glass of water. And there you, boom, you wake up, you take it, your gut's healthy all day long. That's where you'd keep it? You wouldn't keep it in the kitchen or in your office? No, because you wake up, the first thing you need to do is think about your health. When you open your eyes in the morning, you see the seed sitting there, and you see the water, and you water the seed, and you grow good gut health. That's what you do. My first thought is, how am I going to get to my desk? Well, see, you're a workaholic, and that's going to lead to your demise because of your poor gut health. But I have it on my desk. But I have the it. stress that's why, factors. That's the what stress, I'm saying. But you're going to work, and stress. You got to manage the stress. You know, stress increases intestinal permeability, oh, which no. is leaky gut. Oh no! And I tell you, this is an easier way than most to get fiber, folks. Because I tell you, did I tell you about my oatmeal adventure? Your oatmeal adventure. They said oatmeal has fiber. I'm supposed to have fiber. And I figured I last had oatmeal when I was 12 years old. But I remember it having some appeal. And maybe I, I, I think Mama Cornette sprinkled a little sugar on the top of it. Well, I got some oatmeal to make after 50 fucking years of not having oatmeal. And I don't know if I'd call it oatmeal. I might call it swool. It was a mixture of swill and gruel. And I did not say, please, sir, may I have some more? I had to put so much sugar on this watery cow snot to be able to choke it down that it was like eating sweet sand. It was gritty. So you don't need to be doing this to yourself, people. Just take this goddamn seed, drink it down with a little water, and go about your day with a healthy gut. You're going to get better sleep. You're going to... 
It's going to help with the fiber that fermented by gut microbes and biotransformed into short-chain fatty acids and antioxidant responses. We don't understand this, this hoo-ha. It's gibberish. It's blither-blather. But it's not poppycock or balderdash because it's important. So, folks, that's what you need to do. I could give you chapter and verse from a scientific textbook, a medical journal, on all the reasons why you need to take this stuff and you wouldn't understand a goddamn word of it just like I don't. Just just well, don't, stick it down your neck. Don't say that. I'm sure plenty of people would like to read up on this and would no, understand plenty. No, most people plenty. listening to this are complete idiots, just like <laughs> I am. About, don't say that. That's No, horrible. I'm talking about, about your gut health and how your whole gut works and your intestinal tract and your colonoscopies and things. We don't know about these things. We need to trust the professionals over at Seed. Because they they won't they won't give us balderdash or poppycock. They won't steer us wrong. So stick this down your neck, <laughs> drink it down, and have a good healthy gut. And right now you go to seed s e e d seed dot com slash drive and use the code drive, and you're going to get twenty percent off your first month of Seeds DS zero one daily symbiotic, and that's registered by the way. Again, seed.com slash drive and use the code drive. I could repeat this over and over. Seed.com <laughs> slash drive. Use the code drive. 20% off. Start a new healthy habit today. Avoid gut mania. Cut through the gut health noise and get the real deal in a symbiotic that's backed by clinical trials, scientific data, and certain families of Italian descent in the Northeast. Well, don't say that. Well, you better take this seed, or elsewise you're going to be pushing up daisies. Don't say that, but what's that website one more time? Seed.com slash drive. Use the code drive. 20% off your first month. It's like almost getting it for free. That's right. And speaking of things that are free and thinking of a little seed that was planted in the ground a long time ago by Vince McMahon, Monday Night Raw was this week as it is every week, of course, <laughs> this week. And we're going to talk about whatever it is that you the watched. The weekly Monday Night Raw happened again this week. <laughs> well, Monday Night Raw happened last night as we are recording here today. Now, this whole show is out of whack, and the wind has really picked up again. Man. Well, at least you can't hear my next-door neighbor ladies, uh, as Aunt Lola used to say, the neighbor lady. Her, she's got a generator, a gas-powered generator now sitting out back of her back kitchen window, and with a hose or a cord run in the window. Vince McMahon reportedly mm. made an appearance at Raw, and a lot of people went crazy about it, and then word came out about his appearance. But what? let's take a step back. What are your thoughts <laughs> now, about... Don't say it like that. Word, oh my God, his appearance. Oh, my, he frightened children. The, the skin was melting off his face, and he had werewolf hands. No, uh... It, it, you say it like that he was in some fashion hideous or deformed or not presentable to polite society. He's just changed apparently one of his longtime personal grooming habits, which uh, has blown my mind. But the rumor is, and there's a picture going around, it's not real. We can talk about that in a minute. But the rumor is that Vince was sporting quite the mustache from what the Eyewitnesses on the, on the ground were able to report with stunned astonishment in their voices. 
I, you asked me before we went on the air, you said, what would cause this change of his, you know, lifelong fascination with grinding all the fucking skin off his face in order to shave six times a day? I, I, do we know, has he been in a skiing accident where his arms paralyzed? I was going to actually say, maybe you do understand. Why did you grow a mustache in 91? Well, actually, I were didn't, home more often. I, I, I <laughs> didn't shave for like three or four weeks because I just I could not shave because I wasn't doing television. And then when I shaved most of it off, I left that and I've showed my wife at the time as a rib like, ah, look at this. And she liked it. And so I kept it for about six weeks till I figured out a way to sneak it off. Well, I'm sure whoever Vince is with likes whatever he brings to the table. But maybe that's what it is. He's home. He's bored. He's shaving like usual. Hey, what the hell? For the first time ever, I'll grow some facial hair. Uh, it didn't look to me like Vince was just doing it to be presentable to the outside world. It looked like he wanted to be fucking groomed. I mean, you know, but at the same time, he's not been sitting at home collecting stamps. He's been, you know, talking to the plotting. Saudis at least. Yeah. <laughs> plotting. <Yeah>. Plotting. <laughs> you know, going through the bylaws and the four laws and the in-laws of the corporate structure of how he's going to take back over. So I don't know that, you know, he would have still broken that. And plus he's got his electric razor in his briefcase. When he opens his briefcase to work, there is his, his book and his pencils and his paperwork and his electric shaver. And for the first time in forever, the briefcase is where? In his house with him. He doesn't have to bring the briefcase anywhere. He's not When you are not bringing your briefcase to work, you don't use it still in your house. You put it to the side and uh -huh. gather dust. Uh-huh. I've seen him open the God, wherever he is, in the limousine, in his house, in his office, he opens up a briefcase and takes shit out of it. Are you surprised if this is true? If Vince grew facial hair, it would be just a mustache? Oh, I, I mean, let's not go crazy now. We can't make, you know, fucking Axl Rose suddenly become, you know, goddamn Winnie the Pooh. It's the opposite. If he lets it all grow, it looks like, wow, he just let it grow. He really doesn't give a shit. He's in a new phase of his life. If he's selectively decided to leave a mustache like Jim Cornette did in 91, it's a decision on his part. Well, he can't just, I don't think Vince has the capability to look to the anybody like he doesn't give a shit. He would never allow that to happen. When At some point, when they have to call AAA to fucking put a winch on him to pull him up and wipe his ass, he's still going to want to fucking get that haircut and make sure that his makeup is applied. What do you think's thicker, his mustache or his eyebrows? I don't, I can't, I wish we could get a real picture. Can we talk about that for a second? Apparently somebody doctored a picture of him with just a little scrawny mustache. <laughs> just a little like stylish, like, hello girls. Mustache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a Gomez Adams type of thing, but uh, that's fake going around. But I, I, I can't picture it. I don't know what style it would be or what color now it would be, or if is it, is it gray and Vince's normal, you know, kind of blackish. Whatever he colors it, yeah. What the fuck is going on? I don't know. 
What do you think about him being at Raw just in general? Again, this is the first time he's been there in a while. He was ousted from the company, allegedly, or he resigned. I guess we can say for sure because of a sex scandal, including sex with talent. And all of a sudden, here he is backstage at the show with a mustache. <laughs> well, he was. Oh, come on now. You keep going back. Hello, girls. <laughs> remember me? So fucking Ron Jeremy's in prison and got Alzheimer's. So now Vince has to take over the fucking legacy. Well, no, first of all, everybody did freak out. And I guess uh, they had to, on PWInsider.com, they had to put up a disclaimer that Vince was not there in an official capacity. He did not run creative. He did not produce the show from the back. Uh, that's where the story came out that he was sporting quite the mustache, but he was there. And I believe this to be true because it probably is to visit John Cena and they're in Boston. It's right up the road. It's Cena's hometown. I'm sure they... Remember, I think I've said, if Vince McMahon, and this was a couple months ago, if Vince McMahon's come back and want to sell the company, you're going to see a lot of fucking stars show up. And they couldn't get The Rock, but they've gotten almost everybody else, and now here Cena is back after he did the um, the year-end SmackDown, did a great number. Now Vince is probably going to have dinner with John Cena in his hometown, maybe at the Chinese place they like, Kowloon's or whatever. And they're and he's already obviously going to be at WrestleMania. I, I believe that that would be a meeting and and just a reunion that Vince would like to have, and he'd bop up to Boston from the greater New York metropolitan area to do that. Any issue though, from a company perspective, of having this dirty pervert back? Hey, in the locker now, room. come on. <laughs> You know what? As far as I'm concerned, to be quite honest with you, I think Vince McMahon would say, if I'm going to stop by the fucking network television production that I'm a majority owner of and meet the goddamn biggest current star that is available to me and do business for WrestleMania and the Saudis and who knows what else, that fucking locker room can get mad or get glad and kiss my big fat white ass. That's what he thinks. Do you think he would ever call his own ass fat? Or would he see um, that as weakness? I think he would only call his ass fat if he was directing someone to kiss it. Just to make it more demeaning to that, to the kissy, as, or the kisser, as it were, instead of the kissy. But yeah, I mean, I don't think he gives a shit what the locker room rank and file by and large would think when it, this is billions of dollars you're talking about. And I think Cena's probably going to be a pretty important part of this over the next several months, at least. Well, let's talk a little bit about Vince McMahon's creation. And of course this week featuring John Cena, Monday night raw, Jim last night, as we are recording, I forget where it was from. Where was it? Do you remember? They were in Boston. Boston, that's right. They were in Boston. We just said that three minutes ago. You know what? Yeah, this this work is affecting you. Fuck Tony Khan having a meltdown. Brian Last, you're giving yourself a goddamn breakdown with all the work you're doing lately. Um, we're not going to bore the people like they the WWE tried to bore the people with this entire three hour thing. There at this point, there's two important really converging 
situations here. The bloodline and the baby faces, who are Owens, Sammy, and Cody. And John Cena now that he's back and he's a bigger star than anybody in the business. So that's what we're we're gonna run through because if you've seen that, you've seen all of it. And this was an important piece of the uh puzzle in the, in the bloodline situation. And we opened with remember Roman Reigns on SmackDown said, Hey, he's given Jimmy a fucking deadline. He told that to Heyman. And now there's uh, Heyman telling Jimmy and Solo at the top of the program one more time. Roman said solve the Sami Zayn problem and you didn't do it Friday. Well, he's here tonight. So you better do it. Jimmy, you solve Sammy with or without Jay and solo. You get rid of Owens. And then they walk off and he calls Roman reigns on the phone. But if he ever said what Roman said on the phone, we missed it. Nevertheless, I liked the, for the first time, maybe in a long time, I liked the first 20 minutes of Raw a lot because they got to the fucking, to the point, they they laid that introduction down on the interview, then they had Owens against Solo, and they had a match that actually went longer than 90 seconds to the break, and then blah, blah, blah. It wasn't a great match, but they were trying. I, I will say that in a, in a in a compliment sandwich, yes, I like the fact that they started off with some action and it's an angle match and we can get into it. The match, they did a jump start. They went to the floor. <laughs> Solo posted Owens twice and then the referee rang the bell to start the match. Remember when a jump start would happen and it was obvious that these... I'm not talking about a, a behind-the-back jumping attack. I'm talking about when the guys just start fighting. By mutual agreement. Here we go. The referee used to ring the bell right then because that was a way to start the fucking thing when everybody's up and bing, ding, ding, and here we go. And now it's they get in a fight and the heel hurts the baby face. And then the referee rings the bell to start the match. And then the, what the fuck? You've just, and then they got to start over again. Do, am I... Again, am I just being too cranky? We just complained about this. I think it was an AEW actually previously where there was a whole big thing on the floor. Maybe it was a Moxley match or something. And then they got in the ring and then the bell rang and the match started. Everyone does they, that now. They it, think it's a standard thing because of, was it Bretton Austin? Whatever it was. I don't know. Triggered people to think this is now a standard thing. But anyway, so the match goes on, but here's the the problem is they stopped Owens so soon, and Solo is a he's a punch and kick guy, and a and it was a lot of the segment where they had some time, five minutes for the you know or seven minutes or whatever before they went to the break, was the heel just kicking and stomping the baby face and put a chin lock on him, and finally Owens fired up and. Jimmy was down to ringside at that point at, at Owens's little flurry and distracted him. And Owens got the ass in the face in the ring. And then he rolls out and he gets the ass in the face by the barricade. And then they go to the break. But when they come back, the more heat on Owens. And then finally Solo missed the charge into the turnbuckle. And Owens makes comeback and hits the senton and gets a cover and one, two, and Uso saves DQ. Ding, ding, ding. 
And okay, again, even if you're going to do the DQ, can we just do some dipsy doodles first? It, it just seems like they, I think we mentioned this on the experience talking about some things on SmackDown. They do it like all of a sudden we're finished with the match. Let's do the get out of it finish. Well, you can always do a get out of it finish that people don't take as a get out of it finish if you take them a few places first, but maybe they didn't have time. Anyway, the heels go to put Owens through the desk and here's Sammy and he makes a big save and beats up both heels and runs them off and the people are fucking loving it. They're loving Sammy. And there's Owens down in the corner and Sammy offers his hand at not only a handshake, but to like help him up. And Owens looks at him and slides right under the bottom rope and limps off. And so, still, we don't get them together. But that was the first 20 minutes of the program compared to often, except if it is the entire full bloodline or Cody, we get a long promo and a tag team match playa that we don't really give a shit about. What do you think about this one? I mean, I can't really add too much to what you thought about the match. I like Solo's presence more than his in-ring stuff, uh, and that's not meant as anything other than I still think he has a ways to go in the ring. He's still relatively new. I like the storyline stuff better than the match, and yeah, it's almost like what the WWF was in the 80s, where the overall story and things like this means more than whatever the hell's happening in the ring. That's secondary, and... It's so yeah, good well, here that it's it more pronounced. It. It's more pronounced now than it was in the eighties because at least they hadn't had previous two decades to tell people, yeah, the match is when they go for a minute and a half. And we're going to go to break. Don't worry about the match. Just get to the Gaga. My only thought was not knowing where the rest of the show would go. And obviously not knowing where the bloodline angle or series of angles will go. I don't think they can, whatever they're going to do with Sammy and Owens, they got to do it maybe next week or soon. I don't know how many more weeks of I'm going to help you, but we're not friends. Yeah. <laughs> they could each do. I think they've kind of exhausted. Them. Well, then let's go to the, the uh, interaction between those two in the back, which followed all of this where Sammy comes up to Kevin. Says, I don't know what else to say. We, none of us can do it alone. We've got the same objective. The only way to take the bloodline down is to do it together. He said, I was in the bloodline. I know. And then Owen says, I know. I remember in this building because they kicked the shit out of him in that building. I've I've been fighting him for eight months and maybe together we could, but I don't want to do this with you. So go back to Roman. Maybe he'll take you back. Leave me out of it. And I, I'm I'm getting what you're saying is that they got to do something because Owen, Owens is now starting to come off as overly petulant over this thing in a wrestling context where people get back together for flimsy reasons. And actually, it's very true to life because Owens will fucking fester on something and beat that dead horse down to the ground. But I think we're seeing a clue later on. We'll get to that here in a second. But I think I think we said it a few weeks ago. What, well, what we, we said it, but now we're seeing a clue that it's going to happen. And you know what? Real, real quick, just to cover this, there was another fucking live Miz in the ring and he brings out Logan Paul. And we love us, Logan Paul, but here comes Seth Franklin Rollins. And they did a long in-ring interaction. And I want to see the Seth Rollins 
Logan Paul match. I don't want to see the 10 or 15 minutes of WWE scripted sarcasm and witty repartee that they're going to involve themselves in here. So basically the bottom line of it was Seth beat up the Miz and then Logan Paul hit Seth Rollins with a nice looking fucking knockout punch and dropped him like a bad habit and then uh, stood over him and made unkind remarks. Like you said, it's going to be a really good match. May steal WrestleMania. However, everything that happens leading up to it with Seth Rollins on the mic is going to just take me out of it. He's so unbearable on the fucking Take mic. me out of the ball game. Shut Seth Franklin's mouth. I've had enough of Franklin for a while. Um. Anyway, so finally we get to the top of the... 10 o'clock hour, 9.57 p.m. to be precise. And we get the John Cena music. And there's a, it's his hometown. So there's a huge pop in Boston. And he comes in, soaks it in, et cetera, et cetera. But before he speaks, Austin Theory, music and entrance. And here the, and we're, they're doing the in-ring promo. And remember we said, okay, let's see. If Theory can hang with a superstar, that'll be a test. And also, we've just watched the Cena and Rock rivals, where it was this kind of the same thing in that the guy who had been there for 10 or 15 years at that point, the Rock, was kind of bringing up in terms of their pecking order at that time, the guy that had only been there for seven or eight, but Theory's only been here for a year or two. And as we recall, some of that has not been positive. And this was going to be, Theory can talk, and he's glib, but I don't know if he was all the way comfortable here. But I think the biggest problem was he didn't have that much to say. And it was it that they wanted him to say these things and only these things or that he didn't want to go off the reservation or whatever. But the way this was constructed. At first, I thought it was going to be and Brian, help me try to because you'll probably understand, try to explain this. At first, I thought it was going to be the motivational teardown that after it went to a certain point would be the the build up and the light the fire under the ass and maybe a slap in the face but it didn't it just it was the tear down that continued down 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 and then got it theory got his fucking ass basically just reamed and had no strong comeback Cedic pretty much wiped his feet on him and not even in a way that like he was he was winning a goddamn impromptu verbal battle. It was like he just told him everything that was fucking wrong with him and Theory had no way to talk him out of it. I it, what did you think about the way they did this? It was interesting just because of the timing of the Rock Cena special that we just reviewed. So you kind of wondered is Cena trying to Get this guy to go off the reservation and show something? Show that he has a pair of balls like Big Show called him in that documentary? Or was Austin Theory, who's been embarrassed over and over again, despite titles and suitcases or whatever, 
was he told to go out there and just take a beating from John Cena on the mic? Because that's the other option. <laughs> yeah, Either, yeah, that's uh, which doesn't make much sense. Again, building to this match at all, we've all seen something in Austin Theory to the point where I would have to believe if John Cena watches the show, he's seen something in him, like a future opponent. I don't know about the start of this build. People are excited to see Cena. You know, it's easy to forget Austin Theory. He was treated like a clown. He was in the main event. Well whatever you want to call it last year with Austin and Vince McMahon and Pat McAfee. Yeah. He was in the middle of all of that. Here we are a year later. He should be thought of a little differently. And there's Cena just dressing him down. Is it to bring something out of him in character or beyond? I don't know. Well, that's what I thought. And maybe there, there will be that chapter, but it was, it was left pretty much, uh, you know, a fucking, point taken here at the way they did it when he started when theory challenges cena for a u.s title match at wrestlemania as a gift to the fans and a gift to everybody and <laughs> cena says no no i thought about it no and he tells theory that he and the people we don't care about you we don't care about you because we don't believe you because you don't believe you and then John started saying stuff like, I've been in your shoes. I'm your ghost of Christmas future. And I, I thought, okay, this is going to be the thing where he, he tells him he's he's got to believe in himself. He's got to grab the brass ring. He's got whatever the motivational speech is. But you see, you got no heart, no soul. They believe in me. They don't believe in you. <laughs> and they just continues to tear him down. And I wrote, if this is a motivational teardown, he needs to get to the build back up part. And then basically he told him, he said, how about this? How about from me in Boston, shut up, turn around, walk out of here, and we'll let you leave in one piece. And Theory's zinger to come back with was, I ain't going anywhere just like that bald spot ain't going anywhere. And, of course, John takes the cap off and he's got his hair done well so you can't really fucking see it because it only comes out when he's had a match and his is hair's his, messed up. Is that his hair? Well, I think it's his hair. It might be some of Wahoo McDaniel's spray <laughs> spray hair additive, but... I don't know. But he goads John into the, the match in by saying, well, is this... Are you saying you're giving up? Where's the respect? Where's the hustle? You know, you're giving up for these people. It wasn't a strong comeback. And and then Cena Cuff fires back in, hey, just because, you know, they pipe in, pipe in, pipe in fake crowd noise in your family. Like, Jesus Christ. Because it's true. And so then Cena asked the fans, yes or no, should I wrestle this fucking clown, basically? And they, of course they say yes. And he says, okay, and then so you'll lose everything. This is. I may not care about you, but I'll never give up on them. So this is the worst mistake you've ever made. And fucking walked off and left him after tapping him in the balls. Tapped him in the balls. You don't have it here in your head. You don't have it there in your heart. And then he knuckled him in the fucking nads. You don't have it here. And then he walks over to the entrance and gives Cody a big introduction. Did you like how that came up? That was weird because I didn't know... The way he did it, it was like, is Cody going to go 
kick the shit out of the guy who just got embarrassed? Like, what's about to happen? But no, it's just to come out and wave. Much mutual love. That was the thing. They're in Boston. John Cena's on television. Just in case anybody was confused as to whether they should consider Cody the top babyface in the company. Well, here, I'll tell you who somebody is. Theory, you're not ready for WrestleMania, but this guy is, and I want to introduce him. And boom, and out comes Cody, and they shake and hug and whisper, hold their arm up, and there you go. It's like fucking Andre coming in and congratulating Hogan. I agree with you, but I was looking at it from the other perspective. What's Theory doing while all this is happening? Oh, he's standing there with his fucking aching nads in his fucking palm of his hand. <laughs> I got to walk past this. When are these guys going to leave? Yeah, no, no, they can't. He, he was just told to go down the side. Just get the fuck out of there. The stars are on the stage. All right, so what do you think? Cena Theory, interesting build to start. <sighs> Again, unless there's... Unless that this complete dressing down by Cena motivates Theory to change something, to do something that is demonstrably visible to the fans, he's going to come out and lay him out physically, or he's going to change his attitude in a way that he's got a killer instinct, or he's he suddenly does something that even Cena remarks on as, that's what I was looking for, or something like that. I can see that. And, and, and it, you know, again, if they start this way, if it would be a big swerve then or unexpected if Theory does win the match, which I still think would be possible without, you know, people setting the seats on fire and it probably helped Theory. Um, but if they're not going to do anything like that between now and WrestleMania, <laughs> I don't know. They've got to, because they just left this guy flattered in a fucking turd to punch bowl. The only other thing could be there are times, and you know this, WWE just wants to embarrass people. <laughs> well, th there is always that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was a weird humbling of an opponent for WrestleMania. Uh, but he's only got one direction to go now, straight up. And speaking of which, also, if you notice, another reason for Cena introducing Cody would be because nobody knew Cody was in the building at that point. He had not been on the show. Oh, everyone so saw that bus. That bus is like eight blocks long. Well, but you know what? It's like I'm the saying. size of a tree in your yard, that bus. Hey, now, now he's going to go request a bigger bus. Now that you said that. <laughs> but no, now, now we know Cody's in the building. It's in the back of our mind. And there, the main event is Sami Zayn versus Jimmy. And remember, the ultimatum from Roman Reigns is, Jimmy, if you don't solve the Sami Zayn problem, I'm going to blame you. And this is the main event of the the three-hour television program, by the way. And they came, literally, they started this thing with 15 minutes or less, maybe, left on the air. They went, got into a fight, went to the floor, and he backdropped Uso over the rail in 15 seconds, and they went to the break. On the main event of the match that they've been milking all night, that has the most interest. And when they come back from the break, Uso's beating the shit out of Sammy, but Sammy starts an immediate comeback. And by the way, he needs to wear a shirt. Of all the people that would benefit from wrestling in a t-shirt, Sami Zayn is one of them. 
but he co makes comeback crossbody two count. And then Solo tries to acts like he's going to interfere. The referee kicks Solo out. Sammy hits a blue thunder bomb, gets a two count, and they go to the break again. That's only been two minutes since we just came back. They must have gone long, got fucking behind, got overloaded, whatever. But when they came back six minutes on the air, it's six minutes till 11 o'clock Eastern. We've literally only seen two minutes of this fucking match on the, on the screen. And when they come back within a minute, Jay is coming down the bleachers from, you know, the entryway, the front door of the arena or whatever, instead of the locker room. And when that is happening, Sammy hits a sunset flip on Jimmy, one, two, three. So the match went literally three fucking minutes on the air. And then Jimmy and Jay stare at each other. Jay's standing on the announce desk and Jimmy's in the ring and then Jay gets in the ring and they face each other off and then Jay grabs Jimmy's shirt and they look at each other forever and then Jay gets out and goes over to the to the aisleway where Sammy is and he finally looks at Sammy and finally he hugs Sammy gives him the big hug and they put the number one fingers up and the fans are chanting, holy shit, holy shit. Did you hear what he said to him? He said, I he, trust you. He said, yeah. He said, I, I trust you. I, well, I thought he said, I chose you or I choose you. Is that what he said? I thought he said, I trust you. I thought he said, I choose you. Huh. But nevertheless. It wasn't well, mic'd. I mean, that's the point. I mean, you kind of well, yeah, it was, it was the It was the, the microphone on the camera, the floor camera that was close to him. But nevertheless, we'll go back and check the tape on that. But then all of a sudden, Jay super kicks Sammy. And what for once, the foot right under the jaw, Sammy Zane sold it like a million dollars. It looked great. You're not even doing it justice in terms of the crowd. The crowd exploded when he hugged Sammy. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were they were all over it. It was a monster pop. It was like an all-time pop. It sounded incredible. And then they gave it enough time. Yeah. It died down. And then the second one, it's not necessarily a pop, but the big reaction from that same crowd for the turn. And boom. And they, they thought, and I love the way they did this because they, they gave them what they thought they were getting. And then they gave them the other things. So they got both. And you got the reaction of both. Uh, but then they throw Sammy in and they start killing him. And then. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? Well, we know he's in the building. Here comes Cody. And Cody hits the ring to protect Sammy Zane. And, and then, of course, my DVR froze because they took so long milking that. Uh, but I assume that they didn't beat Cody up and leave him laying like they would have over on the other channel. What did you think about the idea? It was Cody, and obviously they set it up and it should be Cody, but did you think for a moment it would be Owens? No, because that would be stupid. Because then, you know, basically with the with what with what Owens has been saying, he was just by what the Usos did, he was proven right. Everything he's been saying to Sammy, they'll turn on you. You know, they'll they'll turn on, they'll do all that. Well, he did. It's got to be the neutral party, the Switzerland, the peacemaker. Cody Super Rhodes. Switzerland. Isn't that what he called himself? Super Switzerland. 
Cody Rhodes, the silver tongue <laughs> devil, is going to figure out some way to talk these two former friends back together. And then it, every everything is in alignment. You've got the family, the bloodline against the fucking babyface Avengers. Well, there it is, and that was Monday Night Raw, and the bloodline storyline continues. It is the most intriguing thing in wrestling. It continues to be. But perhaps you want to know what's up with the rest of the show. What's up with the rest of the card? I don't pay my money. I don't spend my time on my couch watching a show just to get a few minutes of wrestling action. And even some of the other wrestling action contains wrestlers I don't want to see. Everyone else is doing it. Maybe you look at WWE and you say, I want to sue. Boy, I think you really needed to work on that one a while. You should have workshopped that one, Brian. Oh, damn it. Should have run it by Reggie. But let me just explain this to you fine folks. <laughs> what he's trying to do there, Brian Last, is who I'm talking about. Oh. What he's trying to do. Okay, not Reggie. No, not Reggie. Brian Last. What you're trying to do is get us to the point where we can naturally bring up in the conversation your man, our man, the man of the hour, our hero himself, the one, the only, you know who. Call Stephen P. Folks, I'll tell you what, we've been talking about it for weeks, how Stephen P. New is going down to Louisiana and straightening out that big multi-billion dollar energy company down there. We've talked about the opioid-addicted babies and the class action suits and the crises with the pharmaceutical companies, but we don't want you to think that Stephen P. New just takes care of the, the cases involving these these big companies and these these class action suits he also he represents the little people he's not a man that's going out there flying around on a on his own private airplane from place to place merely for financial gain filing all these suits and grievances and complaints and things he wants to help people he wants to bring truth justice and the west virginia way to the rest of the country and that's why he's still helping the little people. So he is not drunk with power. He's drunk on moonshine like everybody else in West Virginia. But he's helping the little people. Have you heard about the latest case, Brian? The latest case? <clears throat> oh, boy, I tell you what. There is a feller, a feller, a, uh, a weaselly reprobate, a sex pest, as they would say across the pond over there in the UK. In the House of, of, he's a former member of the House of Delegates there over in West Virginia. His name is Austin Haynes. And old Austin Haynes, not Austin Theory now. Austin Haynes and the West Virginia legislature are being sued. The complaint has been filed on behalf of Jane Doe. That's how she's identified because of the things that this Haynes character was doing to her. She was an unpaid lobbyist, a citizen advocate, 
a good citizen working on the passage of a Native American tribal recognition bill in the legislature over there in West Virginia because she is a Native American descendant of the Shiraw tribe. She's a member of the Native American Indian Federation. She's trying to help support her people, do civic work, right? Guess what this delegate was trying to get her to do? If she would exchange a little nookie with him, then he would try to help her people not be discriminated against and etc. And he starts texting her. And he's asking her, do you ever use sex toys? How does that come up in a conversation between a delegate in the West Virginia legislature and a lobbyist trying to do civic work? And the text messages and the pictures and telling her that he he pleasured himself looking at her pictures. All kinds of creepy stuff from this guy. And then he finally hits her with the, uh, well, the, the question. Said, uh, would you ever have sex with someone for them to support your bill if it was very important to you? And she says, no. Much like John Cena said to Austin Theory. And uh, he said, well, I was just telling you what happens around here sometimes. So anyway, this guy harassed this woman and berated her and, and gave her pictures of his pee-pee and all those other things until finally she said, you know what? I'm just going to sue. And what do you do when you're going to sue? You call Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com. 888-692-8084. And they've already assigned a judge to this. Another of the judges asked to be recused from the case. Apparently, she may have been related in some fashion. But nevertheless, here's a quote. Here's a quote from a fellow. I'm trying to find his first name. Ah, House Speaker Roger Hanshaw. Says what former delegate he sounds like Haynes, a troublemaker too. Well, but no, he's on the right side of things. Oh, oh, well, maybe not. Hold on. <laughs> what he says? What former delicate? Ha delicate? What former delicate? He was bakery, talking about delegates. But what he was very delicately talking about the delicate delegates. What former delegate Haynes is accused of doing is reprehensible in every way. Hanshaw told the West Virginia Record, this complaint, however, is neither appropriate nor is it accurate. Oh, maybe they didn't spell the word reprehensible right. You just admitted your fucking boy is a, a prevert, Hanshaw. Well, see, he's still running the thing. He's the house speaker of all them preverts, so he speaks for the prevert. Well, you're going to find out that complaint is appropriate and accurate, and it's going to be profitable as well. He says, I, I want any victims of these alleged crimes to see justice, but it will never be served in the manner sought by the filing of this complaint. Well, maybe you should have talked to your boy Austin Haynes there, pal. Anyway, if you want to get in the newspaper... Identified only as Jane or Jim, Jim Doe. No, that's not something anyone wants to get into a newspaper for. Well, if it's not your real name, then what difference does it make? If you have a case where 
You know, I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. It didn't work, and I just drink under another name. But if you want to get your case brought to people who can do something about it and get a lot of publicity on the people that have pissed you off <laughs> and have me knocking them publicly on the airwaves, just call Stephen P. New, newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Haynes told plaintiff on several occasions that constituents would exchange sexual intercourse for bill passage. The complaint states. It's like everyone's a radio promotion person. Yeah, a, li a little pussola. No, there was, you know, when, when, let's just say in the 1980s, radio promotion men had lots of gifts and cocaine they can give the people to get their records on the air. Yeah. If there was a woman promo person who could actually fuck the, or I shouldn't say could, would fuck the program director, you were screwed. Her song would get on before yours. It happened. Yeah. I'm not going to use names. Pussola. It wasn't called Pussola. Well, if it's money, it's payola, so why wouldn't that be pussola? Well, did we finish Steven's? I don't know. You've degenerated yeah, we're, this we're into done. another you, one you, of your yeah, things. Everybody can, can go on now. It's newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Well, Jim, speaking of something that isn't a legal issue right now, but a lot of people have been up in arms about, I'm surprised how many emails we've received about it since we recorded the review yesterday, so I'm going to bring it up as a separate topic here. I'll read this one. Sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from James Floyd. Apparently, after MJF threw the liquid on the kid that was seen on TV, it was reported to be tequila. <laughs> and when they went to check on the kid, apparently the kid and the mother were heavily upset which caused them to get the kid I merchandise. I you were going to say the kid and the mother were heavily intoxicated. Stop it. <laughs> caused them to get the kid in, uh, get the kid, excuse me, merchandise from the stand. He got to go backstage and meet the wrestlers. And Tony Khan said he would get to go to the show on Wednesday. Yes, I get what, MJF as what a if, heel. What if, he didn't, what if he didn't want to come back on Wednesday? What? No, you have to come back. Is Tony forcing the kid to maybe he didn't like the show to begin with? I get MJ. What, what are they what are they gonna do with him this time? When he comes back this time, they're gonna fucking strip him naked and hide his clothes? <laughs> fucking this time someone will land on him. Throw, throw water balloons full of cow shit at him? Or... I get MJF as a heel, and that's what he's supposed to do. But my question is, why would you do something like this in today's climate when people are very sue happy? Clearly it was an issue. If Tony Khan made the people in the back run to get items from the merchandise stand. <laughs> I know it's probably not a big thing in hindsight, but that mother could have sued AEW for assault, technically. I'm just well, curious, your thoughts on the subject. And like I said, not an isolated email. We've received, over the last day and a half, a ton of inquiries about your thoughts yeah. on this. Oh, yeah. Well, talking from someone who has experience in a variety of positions on being sued, the sewer, the suey, the, the suey, suey. And I've mentioned this before. Anything that you in most states now, I mean, there could be some, you know, I think bestiality is only illegal in 47 states or whatever. But in most states, if something comes from your body to someone else's, whether you spit on them or snot on them, or dump a cup of water on them, or throw a baseball at them, or hit them with a ball bat, or whatever the fuck, it's technically it's assault. 
So by the, by the very tightest description, I mean, you can sue for anything. And whether you'll collect or not is a different story. Even by the tightest description of the incident, yeah, you yes, you could technically call that potentially assault, but I think here's the best part about it is, and I can understand MJF seeing it happen in the moment and, and just making a snap decision, and the woman said something to him to to attract his attention to her for a second, a second, and he sees the drink and he sees the kid. But also, if you go back and notice, it looked, I thought it was a cup of water or at least some kind of soft drink because it was a clear plastic cup and it was almost empty. It looked like there was a little in the bottom and he didn't grab it and throw it in the kid's face like, you know, Joan Crawford having a goddamn meltdown in a <laughs> fucking 40s B movie. He just kind of flipped it in the kid's lap and then went on. There was no, there was no, not only force nor ill intent or whatever is a, a taunting condescending thing. And I think that's the snap decision that he made to do that when he saw it sitting in front of him. So if there was, if there was a lawsuit filed claiming any kind of injury on this, then the video would disprove that quickly whether or not these people's embarrassment might be worth anything in a court of law it i i think to be honest with something like this it would probably be scoffed at by many judges and potentially thrown out or maybe they say hey, we'll go to arbitration over this because we got serious shit going on um it was good that you know, Tony and everybody else made over him and patted him on the back and everything. And I loved MJF at the scrum when he said, well, what do you think about throwing this drink on his head? The kid looked thirsty. That was fucking great. And he was completely, you know, not sorry or apologetic. Should he do and it again? He, Should he do it again on Wednesday? Um, no, actually, <laughs> do you what, he ought to do, what he ought to do now is have a fucking drink and he's drinking or supposedly drinking himself and throw it in his opponent's face. Turn out to be fucking rubbing alcohol. The guy's blind or whatever. But, but anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to, it's a, it's a close line there. It was, it was a thing that got a huge pop and nobody was really injured. Um, it's touchy with the, the age of the kid, but again, the kid didn't get hurt. And then again, what's this woman doing drinking tequila in front of her little child toddler baby there setting a bad example out in public being a drunken stumble bum. <laughs> well, hold on now. No one said she was a drunken stumble. Well, she was almost arrested for WRAF walking recklessly and attempting to fall. She's sitting ringside. She obviously spent a lot of money on those seats. She's she was standing time. up. I saw her weaving back and forth. She was obviously three sheets to the wind as mama Cornette would say. And, and there, and what I've child protective services ought to step in and see if that's a good home. She's out in public. In, in, under the influence of who knows some kind of bathtub hooch while her kids there being molested by some wrestler jesus christ what is what this is like when you used to do commentary over matches and just say oh then he slipped on a banana peel and then this happened and this happened <laughs> i'm just saying it was it was a, an entirely an unsavory unfamily-like atmosphere if i if i was the kid's father i'd go to court and have that kid taken away from that woman 
I don't think you should be saying these things. And of course, I think you're joking. And of course, I don't know what else we're going to say. Well, as long as you think that, we're all right. Let's move on here, Jim. Our next question comes from Twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from Marlon Mueller, a.k.a. Half Pint. Half Pint. I'm watching. He's a a fine journalist. Is he a journalist? He's a journalist down there in Middle Tennessee. (laughs) What? They got journalists in Middle Tennessee. I'm watching the main event of WrestleMania 10, and even five beers in, I can tell Burt Reynolds is on the sauce. (laughs) What say you? What was it like having such an introduction, and do you remember meeting Burt Reynolds during the day? Jim, Burt Reynolds at WrestleMania 10. No, I didn't meet Burt Reynolds during the day. I I never wanted to meet any of the celebrities that were there. Because it was just... And especially about that point, it wasn't now. If I'd have been at WrestleMania 1, I'd love to meet Liberace and Muhammad Ali. And uh, there may have been one or two. Leslie Nielsen would have been a kick at some point. But WrestleMania 10, who, who was it? Was it Burt Reynolds, Pamela Anderson? Was that No, her, no, no. It was Burt Reynolds, Jenny Garth from 90210. That's right. Nicholas Turturro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Nicholas Turturro. Donnie Wahlberg, I believe, was part of it. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Rhonda Shear from Up All Night. And yeah, that's yeah. Little yeah. Richard, Little Richard sang the national anthem, I believe. Uh, was that at ten? That was at ten, Madison Square Garden. Son of a gun. Well, if, I didn't want to bother him, and the rest of them, I didn't give a shit about. I, I, Burt Reynolds used to go out with Barry Windham's old girlfriend. What Pam Seals? He was also an Observer subscriber. Was he really? Yeah. He actually Maybe was. to find out where Barry Wyndham was. <laughs> Whether to leave Pam alone or not. Where's he booked? I need to know. <laughs> well, there's he's, your question. He's in West Palm tonight. We can go to the movies. Well, Jim, let's get some questions before we wrap things up from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group. Once again, we put up a post for a short period of time to solicit some questions. Let's get to them. Hopefully, there's a few good ones here. The first one posted here. On the Cult of Cornet official Cult of Cornet Facebook group from Tom Ailes. Who had the biggest appetite for ring rats in WCCW? What? Oh, I thought he was going to give a so-and-so or so-and-so. No, he's just asking for anyone. Well, now, but see, now, that's a loosely worded question. Because who had the biggest appetite was not necessarily who got... The most rats, right? Technically, that would be true, yes. So in that case, it was me. (laughs) I can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? I was 25. I'm sorry. I can't imagine anybody had a bigger appetite for rats than I did, as long as we got that qualifier in the front. I did do better than the, the first match heels, though. But the first match, babyfaces in Dallas were still rolling in Zabada. So you're not going to incriminate anyone? You're not going to give us any sort of name Well, here no, or... it's not incriminating. Because, again, it's not incriminating anybody. Which referee say, enjoyed the you're ring You're not rats. saying who ate the most. You're saying who was the hungriest. Who ate the most? Who ate the Well, now that <laughs> would, you know, the Fantastics was, it was... In just insane, but the Von Eriks were a whole nother level. I didn't travel with them 
So I don't know if they were doing the same thing that Rock and Roll Express was doing in Louisiana, but they I think one of them was Kevin may have been married then, or was Carrie the one that got married early? But but nevertheless, they I They all can't, did, actually. Well, I still I can't imagine that the Von Erics weren't on some kind of Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones level in the Dallas Fort Worth area as far as females. So it would had to have been them. The Fantastics would would have been champions of any normal territory, but in Dallas. But the Von Erichs were on a whole nother level. So even maybe more hysteria than the rock and roll in the Carolinas for the Von Erichs. In but it just the question is. But did they enjoy it? The Von Erichs didn't strike me as the kind that could that could have the turnover and the capacity for the quantity that the rock and roll did. Without everyone bumping into each other. Yeah, there, there was a lot less coordination on the Von Erich's part. Jim, another question here from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group was sent in by Paul Martin. Which wrestler has been screwed over the worst by a lousy gimmick that was handed to them? Oh, good Lord. I mean, again, in all of wrestling history, there's been some rotten fucking gimmicks. I mean, the famous ones are, you know, the Red Rooster for Terry Taylor. and. Geez, what you know, could anything have been worse than the Shockmaster for but but it didn't go far and last long. But whose career was screwed over? Who I mean, the question I guess with Terry Taylor always comes down to if he didn't get that gimmick, in a perfect world, what was his capacity? like where was he going? What was the limit for Terry Taylor? And WWF was definitely one thing. If Dusty was booking WCW, it was definitely another thing. So Yeah. He would have been, he would have been better off if if Dusty'd have been around and he'd have been in WCW he'd have been much better off. Um, but uh, I don't know it, because I mean you know bad gimmicks in the territory days you didn't you didn't have to worry about it killing your career because it was only in one place so it's really just the modern era anything that would be been seen nationally in the last 30 years right what would your choice be if it if it isn't the red rooster oh that's really tough worst gimmick that has screwed over a wrestler like Dolph, i mean like i mean there's been so many yeah is a guy, not really a gimmick just a guy that's been beaten until you can't tolerate it anymore i mean that's the thing what does it have to be someone who got far with the gimmick that screwed them over obviously the, you look at the spirit squad and they screwed over the careers of yeah, Several guys right or we there. we could talk about Max Dupree a little while ago, but then they yeah. let him be L.A. Knight again. And if 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 he'd been Max Dupree, and then we never saw him again on national television, then we say, "Oh, geez, what a way to go!" And you're right, the Spirit Squad was, but again, it wasn't necessarily the gimmick as much as then once they give them a gimmick that's a joke, then they present them as jokes as well, and they can't beat anybody, and, and they're ineffective and etc. with Spirit Squad or whoever fits those parameters. So it's not the gimmick because the Red Rooster was rotten even though they started putting Terry over. They were giving him wins on TV. He had Bobby Heenan as a manager. But with some of these other gimmicks, they're just so funny or so silly, and they start beating these people right away, and then there's no hope of overcoming it. Yeah, and there's an entire period of time where dozens of guys were killed. Like, like, Let me ask you, Chris Candido, 
Do you look at that as a gimmick that? Oh, uh, the body Donna. That, there you go. There's an example of the gimmick that killed talent. Both Tom Pritchard and Chris Candido, specifically Chris, because he was in it longer. But within that few years, look at how many guys came in and all of a sudden got nothing. They got gimmicks that just killed them dead. So I guess that kind of is in line with the question here. Well, he had to go somewhere else and be somebody else to recover from it. So th there's 26 different ways you can evaluate that question. Maybe we better jot it down and, and come back with notes on all of them. Okay, let's get another question here from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. Let me scroll down. The wind has really picked up over here again. Oh, you and that wind again. Well, back in my day, back last Friday when the wind really blew. Jim, this next question from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group is from Sam Gar. In the territory days, how would shows do at the gate, even if it wasn't a TV taping? <laughs> how did big shows do at the gate with just local advertising compared to what was an AEW or WWE show would do now with national advertising? Oh, boy. Um, it's been so long. How, how did he phrase the opening of that question? What was the opening line? And again, younger people do have to be educated on the history of wrestling, yes. and a lot of them come here for that. In the territory days, how would shows do at the gate, even if it wasn't a TV taping? Okay. Better. Because it wasn't a TV taping. A lot of territories did not even charge admission to the TV tapings because they were done in the TV studio in one main city in the territory. If it was in the Charlotte territory, when they did studio stuff, it was in Raleigh or Memphis, obviously it was in Memphis or, you know, whatever the fuck. Or if, if they did it like the Florida TV where they had their own building, but it was still a, the Tampa sportatorium, which was seated a couple hundred people is where they had the offices and they shot the TV there also. What were the tickets? Like $5 were the tickets. They just wanted people in the small building or studio to see, the, to be an audience to look good on television for the, P the TV viewers to see it. Now, when Crockett's business expanded, and in the 80s when he was so hot, then we would go to places within 100 miles of Charlotte on a Tuesday night like a Gaffney, South Carolina, or Meisenheimer, North Carolina, or all these places with high schools or local college. Gaffney had a college, local college. With 2,000-seat high school or college gyms, and they would sell out, and they'd charge regular ticket prices. And, but that was, that was when business was incredibly hot. The point is, most people didn't want to pay in those days to see television because you could see it for free on tv <laughs> and if you waited a few days and all all the territories ran each market either every week every two weeks or every month so you were already buying a wrestling ticket to see the live event the house show the good stuff not the tv the tv was just you know job matches occasional main events some angles every once in a while and interviews that's fine but the house show was where the big matches happened. That's what you wanted to see. So those, by wide margins, outdrew television. Then when it became a national thing, I think, remember, we've talked about this. The first clash of champions 
In Greensboro, March of 88, Flair and Sting in the main event, it only drew about 5,000 people, which was not a good house at all for Greensboro because even though it had been promoted on TBS and on all the, you know, the, the television shows and everything that it was going to happen, the people in Greensboro or wherever were like, well, fuck, why should we leave the house and go down there and park and buy popcorn and drinks and buy tickets to see what we can sit at home and watch on TBS for free? That was the mindset in those days. So if you did, that's why it was sometimes hard to fill the buildings up for pay-per-views in those days. But definitely for a free TV show, and none of the Clash of Champions specials sold out that I can remember, unless it, uh, um, not Wilmington, Fort Bragg. But, uh, Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg, the Army base, small building, and they, you know, they wanted to see it. That was full. But I mean, you know, it wasn't an automatic sellout because it was the Clash of Champions, because it would actually, if you advertised Ric Flair versus Lex Luger or whatever the main event was for the title in that town, it would have drawn more people if it hadn't been on television. Because people stayed home to watch it for free. That was that was how it happened in those days. So no, and 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 also none of the boys, we didn't want more TV tapings because we didn't get paid for TV tapings. It, like for Crockett, if we were in a dark match, one of the two dark matches that were advertised for a TV taping that I mentioned to draw those 2,000 people in Gaffney, then you got a nice payoff. But everybody else for TV got $40 or $60 at one point. So when the, when Crockett bought you know, UWF and Kansas City and blah, blah, blah. We started doing TV everywhere. We're like, fuck, we brought our money down. So, so that's, it's only a modern thing that house shows get no, you know, I mean, they do okay, but they don't have big fucking scalping situations and everything. It's the pay-per-views and the TV taping. That's completely the opposite of what it was in the old days. People wanted to go to the fucking Superdome that wasn't televised or the Charlotte Coliseum or the Omni in Atlanta or Reunion Arena or wherever the fuck that it wasn't going to be on TV. That's the shit we got to see. We got to buy a ticket for that. Jim, another question from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group sent from Jay Kohler. Can Jim talk about the art of getting a hand or foot on the ropes at the last second? And can he remember any times where it was missed or not timed correctly? <laughs> yeah, about 50% of the time people try to do it, usually. Uh, no, I, I mean, there's there's countless. Um, where you didn't get it, you didn't quite get it, or... I mean, there's always the old thing where you think you've got the fucking range and he reaches the foot out and... He thinks he's putting the foot on the fucking bottom rope, but the toe slips off and the referee looks up and can't see the leg. He's seeing the rope quiver and got to go with that. Oh, well, I see the rope was quivering. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ring and spatial awareness and really great workers always know where they are in the ring at every point when they're taking a bump, when they're giving a guy a bump. You're giving a guy a bump, especially if you're throwing him throwing him behind you. You know what's behind you. You know where you're throwing him. And you know where the ropes are to grab him or to catch him or to do whatever the fuck. And 
again, it, you know, you kind of get the rhythm if you've worked with a referee, if, if there's a cover and the, one guy's covering the other guy and the referee goes down to count one, two, that guy on the bottom knows that from the first cadence of the first two counts, how long he has to get. And it's little more than a second, but you try to get it right there where it's a surprise. And Tommy Young, guys like that were masters at holding up that count just an inch short because they see it in the nick of time. And then there's also it, it, it more moving parts when the manager, which would be me on a lot of these, has to knock the foot off. So the foot has to be there at two so I can knock it off right before three. And then the referee looks up and calls for the bell. So the cover happens. The referee counts one at two. The foot goes on the bottom of the rope, and I'm right there to sweep it off as soon as people have seen it. And three, and the referee looks up to call for the bell and sees there's no foot on the rope. That one, you've got to, I've got to be in approximately the right place before the cover happens so I can reach it, but I can't be sitting right there, or elsewise the people will anticipate it. So I have to be eight to 10 feet away when the cover happens. So they think that visually there's no way he's going to do anything. And then suddenly when that foot goes up on the rope at the count of two, I've got to already be in motion and swipe it off before the three. So it's kind of a, you got to come together on the timing. What was the question? The question was the art of getting a hand or a foot on the ropes at the last second, any times where it was missed or not timed correctly. Well, yes, and, and I'm, I can't call one right now, but there's been countless over the years in wrestling where either couldn't quite get it, didn't get it, or late save, or late, late whatever. You know, it just happens, because you're, you're doing it in live in one take in front of a crowd on all four sides. Was Ric Flair the best at getting his foot on the rope? Well, he always knew where he was, I'll tell you that. Um, and that was, that was a part of it that especially in the old world title matches when the challenger could get could press the champion far enough that when he the champion was covered he didn't kick out he had to get a foot or a hand or something on the ropes that would get an audible pop from the people not like yay like he got it but like ooh he's about to go down that kind of thing it's showing weakness that's why I remember that was one of the spots that Eddie Graham figured into Dusty Rhodes's babyface turn or he he Dusty was a heel in Florida but he wrestled Briscoe for the world title. And at one point Dusty dropped the elbow and covered Briscoe and Briscoe the babyface the world champion couldn't kick out had to get his foot on the bottom rope to break the count. And when Briscoe did and saved his title, the people booed because they were so into this fucking new Dusty Rhodes guy that Graham said, okay, well, that's the final fucking indication. We've got to switch him babyface. But it was, I mean, but that was when the fans instantly in those days reacted to a rules infraction that they all instantly recognized in a territory where it was illegal to throw somebody over the top rope out of the ring. As soon as somebody did it, the fans went, oh, they reacted to it. 
And especially if it was behind the referee's back, then they were jumping up and down, screaming and pointing, screaming, he threw him over the top rope. Or same thing with a pile driver. Or the same thing with what they, the fans all knew the rules of the wrestling matches to the point where they would pop if they were broken in the match, especially if the referee didn't see it. Instantly, they knew. Now, no, there's no, everything happens and nobody even can keep track. But no, you know, if, if you got a guy pulling a good amount of fucking hair, the people would be up throwing shit at him just because he wouldn't stop pulling the fucking hair, and that's not legal. Jim, this question was sent via email to cornydrythrough at gmail.com from Logan in Valdosta, Georgia. I was wondering if you can comment on Sammy Guevara saying he doesn't want to work untelevised shows or but often. Hold on, I have a quote here he's attached. In a recent interview with Muscle Man Malcolm for the Sportster. Oh boy. Guevara made it clear he does not want to be on the untelevised events and is trying to limit the number of bumps he has taken. What? <laughs> Here's a quote. On the house shows, you can keep me off of those. I'm trying not to have to take bumps, okay? Oh my When I God. do take bumps, as you see, it's been. In scenarios like, it says in uh, parentheses here, a crazy ladder match. And then you can keep me off for a little bit. I don't want to bump often. But when I do want to make it crazy, when I do... I think it may have left out a word or two here. So keep me off of those. He don't want to do it often, but when he does, he wants to go all out. There's well, several questions shit. here. Yeah, yes, well, dipshit, that's exactly the opposite reaction you should have because i mean it just it's it's funny and laughable that of all people he would say well i don't want to take any bumps you don't have to you know it's a work dipshit nitwit it's a work <laughs> you can actually theoretically have a fucking match without ever falling down lawler's been doing it for 20 years and nobody notices because he's good at it the idea that he does he he is like all the rest of these young guys that have been thrust into the national TV spotlight from indies on this program. They're still only wrestling once or twice a fucking week, and you don't learn anything that way. You need repetition in front of people. Doesn't have to be huge crowds of people, but needs to be sometimes it's better when it's small groups of people where you can trash it out and they, you can hear their feedback in real time. But go have house show matches. All the guys in days gone by, they had big show matches, they had house show matches, and they had spot show matches. And spot show matches, you got a lot of gaga over at the fucking high school and all the kids, and hopefully the sponsors sold a lot of popcorn, raised some money to buy some new football uniforms for the kids. Nobody's going to get juice or cut their fucking head or dive off the goddamn roof or brain each other with chairs that's for the house shows and sometimes for the big show but all the guys knew how to work for the audience work for the the payoff they were going to get work for the fucking crowd that they had work for the venue that they were in the environment they were in nobody was just going to go out and beat themselves up 
diving onto shit for no reason when they didn't have to. And that's what this fucking guy thinks he has to do now. What you need to do, especially if you want to be doing this in five years, much less 15, and you're only in your mid-20s, go out there and have those house show matches. Don't take all those goofy bumps. Learn to work. Learn to listen to the people. Learn to fucking get your personality over so that like MJF does so that they're interested in what you're doing instead of just what you're doing. They're interested in what you're doing, not what anybody could do in that situation. And of course, I know Sammy's real personality has been illustrated to the fans. They fucking don't like him because he's apparently a dick. Well, you'll learn that too, and then you'll be a better heel. And then you won't be taking the goddamn swantons off the ladder, and you won't have to because you'll actually be selling some tickets and people will give a shit about what you do. Learn to work. The more often in front of people, the better for him and everybody in his experience level and mindset. Go out there and don't bump work. Well, Jim, our final question here this week, and next week we'll try to get more questions from the emails and Twitter. I'm sorry that we went so heavy with Facebook, but we wanted to get these mixed into the show. Jim, from the Facebook group, the official cult of Cornette, this question was sent by Darren Chapelo. Oh, now that can't be real. This sounds like a stupid question, I know. Well, and it probably is. But I've always wondered... Why is World Heavyweight Champion pluralized to World's Heavyweight Champion in the NWA? Well, Mr. Chapped Below, actually, I have no good reason for that. Otherwise, then it depends on how you hear it in your head. Are you the World Heavyweight Champion, meaning you are the heavyweight champion of the world? Or are you the world's heavyweight champion, meaning you are the heavyweight champion of that particular world? It's, what is it, plural, possessive? I haven't been in school in 50 fucking years. But it, 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 it's like the people who say amusing antidote and amusing anecdote. Uh, it's, it, I think it's how people hear things or how they believe it should be phrased. Is it a historic event or an historic event? So, yeah. World heavyweight champion or world's heavyweight champion? Are you the champion of the world or are you the champion that belongs to the world? What would you I don't do? Know. What do you prefer? I like world heavyweight champion. All right. Or you can say for the world's heavyweight title. You can say that. Would you be a stickler? It is the heavyweight title of the world. Would you be a stickler if you are the promoter and you call it the world heavyweight title, and then you have some announcers like, here's the world's heavyweight champion? Would that bother you? Uh, only if I was kind of fucking pissed off at the announcer to begin with. But yeah, regardless, the world heavyweight champion or the world heavyweight title or the world's heavyweight champion or world's heavyweight title People use them interchangeably because they hear the same thing in their head when they say that. It's just the different way that the individuals say it. And then sometimes you, the promoter takes over, or sometimes the belt maker or the announcer or whatever, and that's how it comes out. 
All right, Jim. Well, with that, the drive-thru is closed. Let's get a song here. I have a big announcement. It looks like we have a new song from Lior. Oh! It's been a few months because he's barely watching wrestling. But here it is. He started writing it over a year ago. <laughs> he, started, <laughs> he started writing it over a year ago when the Cody fiasco started. And it got more and more ridiculous, so he just finished writing it recently. Here it is. <laughs> In AEW, kids are in charge, so I'm taking my bus to one-way ride. They ask me one thing, don't bring your wife. <laughs> so I'm taking that tattoo on my neck. The reason is, Tony or EVPs ain't nothing I'd rather do. To go back, <laughs> WrestleMania time, the EVPs will never be here. Well, maybe Twinkle Toes, I'm on the highway to the big leagues. On the highway to the big leagues. Highway to the evil empire. I am on the highway to WWE. No signs of brandy. Oh, no brandy. No fan will booming down. I ain't going over. I'm a baby face. And no amateur will book me and mess me around. Hey, EVPs, look at me. I paid my dues. I'm going to wrestle in the big leagues. Hey, daddy, look at me. I ain't going to hell the bell that they stole from you in the garden. <laughs> I am on a highway to WWE. I'm on a highway to WWE. I'm on a highway to their big leagues. I am on a highway to the big leagues. And Tony, you won't stop me. Don't stop me. No brandy, no Tony, no bucks, no candy, no brandy, no Tony, no candy. I'm a baby face. <laughs> I am on the highway to the big leagues. On the highway to the big leagues. I'm on the highway to WWE. On the highway to WWE. to stop me.
Lillard is the returning champion. He has a schedule like Roman Reigns, but here he is. Lior, still the best. What do we say about that? I want to, I want to win the title I stole from my daddy in the garden. He was singing more than he usually, like, he was, like, changing his vocals and doing different you things. Know, I, I'm telling I think he's been studying. He's been studying with Miss Pruitt in her vocal uh, studio. Well, that was the song we needed for the show we needed it on. And with that, the drive through is closed. Thank you, Lior. Hope you had a happy Purim. The drive through is closed. <laughs> of course, the Jim Cornette Experience returns this weekend, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And back here next week with your questions right here on the drive through Get access to the archive going back to 2013, 10 years ago. Wow. Patreon.com slash Holy mackerel. We got to have a cake this year for that. For $5 a month, no cake, but you get access to the archives going back again to 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel approaching 350,000 subscribers. Be one of them today. Go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to share the show, share the clips from the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at TheJimCornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast. <laughs> I just started thinking about Lior and I lost it in the middle of <laughs> I thought about Lior and then my mind went to Reggie and that was it. 605 Super Podcast, 605pod.com available. What if wherever we you have find. Lior write a eulogy for Reggie? We should do a Reggie song contest. Up, oh, Swami's going. Well, 605 he, he Pod. He wants to join. 605pod.com, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And of course, the wrestling news each and every day. Get your wrestling news for free. A daily wrestling newscast every morning. TheWrestlingNews.com directly or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. Jim, what's going on at Coronet's Collectibles? There's going to be a big announcement this coming weekend on the Jim Coronet Experience. Oh, this is like what Tony Khan does. You're going to let everyone down. Why are you doing this? I, but I'm not going to milk it till the end of the show. I'm going to tell you right up front where you can get a good whiff of it. Are you going to make the announcement, or is Adam Cole going to make the announcement? No, I will make my own announcement. And it will be th things that you will love to hear about things that you will love to have. Well, there you go. Hear more about it on The Experience. And, of course, we're talking about JimCornette.com. The drive through is brought to you by the Law Office of Stephen Pinu, 888-692-8084. Wiping out perversity in the West Virginia State Legislature. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on The drive through for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tell we go! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's 
When it's all elite wrestling Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega the mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven, Pedro, everybody. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass. <laughs>